Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew. What's shaking, everybody? Hey, hey. So this week, with the release of THE Batman, we thought that we would do an episode where we would discuss the movie that has just been released. We just saw it, so it's fresh in our minds, and uh, we've got quite a bit to say on the subject. How'd this that sound is to you? our the Batman topsy, the Bat topsy, <laughs> the Bat topsy, exactly. The Bat topsy. <laughs> I'll try to give as vague a synopsis as I can without uh, giving away too much, but it's a Batman story that revolves around a series of mystery killings uh, with a killer known as the Riddler, who is leaving clues for Batman to solve, and as he peels away. The layers of mystery around the riddles that the Riddler leaves behind, he learns more about what's at the heart of the city as well as what's at the heart of humanity, I guess. Okay. How'd that sound? It sounds better than the movie we just watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have any of the... Uh, I mean, I just know that it was directed by Matt Reeves. It's uh, It was written by Matt Reeves and Peter Craig. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia credits. Okay, okay. It, it's got quite quite a heavy cast. You know, there's there's definitely a lot of recognizable names. There's Robert Pattinson. There's Zoe Kravitz. I think that's her whole name, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's John Turturro. I mean, I don't know if he's super famous, but he's definitely a well-known character actor. Surprisingly enough, we found out towards the end that Colin Farrell is in it. I was not expecting that. So they <laughs> the really whole movie, did a, I didn't realize I was looking at him. <laughs> they did a really good job of covering him up. What's the name of... Who played uh, Commissioner Gordon and uh, Alfred? Do, uh, do you happen to have that? Commissioner Gordon was Jeffrey Wright. Alfred was Andy Serkis. Yeah. Jeffrey Wright is pretty good in some of the other things I've seen him in. So, you know, he's... You know, an actor. An actor! <laughs> a true thespian. Yeah. And uh, Andy Serkis, he, he was Gollum. Yeah. So... And he was, uh, he was in that Marvel movie, man. He was he Ulysses was, Claw. Yeah. And he was also King Kong in Peter Jackson's King Kong. He's had quite a career. He probably has a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely a capable actor. Like, especially... Seeing the the CG stuff that he did with Peter Jackson, mm-hmm. I mean, he got to be King Kong, man. Yeah, he must have had a blast doing that. Yeah, 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 for sure. So do you... and we had a uh, Paul Dano as the oh, Riddler. Oh yeah, Duh. Paul Dano. He's he's a pretty good character actor. Uh, from what I've seen, he was in Little Miss Sunshine. He was in Looper. He was also in There Will Be Blood. He's got been in a lot more movies, but those are the ones that I remember him from. Mm-hmm. So it's it's got a pretty hefty cast, a uh, respectable cast uh, on paper. You want to go into it, how was it in practice? Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll go over that later. We'll go okay. over that later. Yeah. So you want to give us your your general impressions of of what you just witnessed tonight? Spoiler free? Spoiler free. Without spoil. Okay. So, without any spoilers, I guess my overall general thoughts are I didn't really like the movie. 
it was definitely better than I thought it was going to be, but I still thought it was pretty bad. It it was pretty long, probably too long. Didn't really feel like it needed to be that long. Uh, I think some of the creative choices in terms of the acting were or yeah i guess acting and just the some of the aesthetics i found kind of questionable and uh i don't know like for example felt like a lot of the actors tried to act like they were in a i don't know like a 70s crime movie like they thought they were in the godfather or something you know where they were just Everybody had these raspy voices, and they all sounded like wise guys. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, it was. It wasn't even. Uh. Yeah, it it just felt like a a really exaggerated version of a a gangster, and I'm not even talking about like my 19 1950s Chicago gangster, you know, like I thought it was your 1920s Chicago 1920s, gangster. 1920s, sorry, my bad. My <laughs> 1920s Chicago gangster. It's 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 it felt like they were doing like like The Godfather or something. Like it was a couple of guys in the back of a room doing scenes from The Godfather, you know? Just Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think as far as the the base elements of the movie went it's it's a story that is supposed to be about batman in his early years before he's truly established as you know the batman that you mean is in his prime the batman <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but it for a story that's supposed to be you know a year one not maybe it's not really a year one batman story but it's like an early type of batman story it it felt like he was pretty reliant on on gadgets and gear like it wasn't it wasn't a basic batman that's for sure he felt like it felt like he had a whole bunch of stuff accoutrements to aid him along in his in his mission and yet the crux of the movie or i guess the emotional crux of the movie revolved around him trying to figure out why he was doing what he was doing and whether it was all worth it. But amidst all of the action and the spectacle, it kind of felt like that element got lost or obscured, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Right. I mean, overall, it was something I was able to to watch. I probably don't have any desire to to watch it again right but i i I do think it was way better than i thought it was gonna be like i thought it was gonna be like really bad but there were some parts in this that made me laugh (laughs) hey that's good enough man yeah yeah i'll take something out of it yeah yeah exactly Um, what about you man did you like it i i guess overall i'd say it was fine but I think because I have love for comics and I'm looking for an experience that is going to be enjoyable, fine, just don't cut it. So, yeah. uh, 
there are definitely things of the uh, in the movie that just smack of 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 effort and i don't even mean like genuine effort like it's that kind of effort where people are just trying too hard and it's like hey tone it down a notch you know yeah yeah i could definitely yeah. see that and uh you know in and any situation where that's the case it's not a good look it just reeks of desperation at that point you know mm-hmm. um yeah like i we're gonna go into the analysis a little bit as we discuss the various elements about the movie but overall it yeah i guess like you it was a movie that i could sit through it was very long uh there were parts there was a point in the movie where i'll I'll admit this i looked away to check on my phone because i didn't feel so engaged that (laughs) i wanted to that i felt the need to keep watching whatever was on the screen so for like for a couple minutes i went to check my text messages (laughs) dang it took you a couple minutes you had that many well no man like 30 uh, 30 seconds what what have you right oh okay okay yeah but overall it's just it tries a little too hard sometimes and uh and i'd say that i think at its root it's a movie that that does know that knows what the source material is that it's drawing from it just happens to draw from bad source material and when you do that, you're just kind of you're you're in a bad place from the start, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I I was reading about the making of the movie and and Matt Reeves' influences and some of the some of the sources that he cited were good comics. I mean, he did cite Year One as one of his influences or or inspirations for the movie. There's yeah. also Ego by Darwin Cook. Yeah. So like those are those are two great comics right there, you know? Yeah. But then well, you've also got stuff thing. like The Long Halloween. Yeah. It's 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 that whole thing of like Yeah well, I, you know, just I I'll just say it. But it's it's that whole uh analogy of mixing oregano with uh uh your drugs. Because, you know, basically, if you take a good product, but you mix in just a little bit of crap in there just to fill it out, to to cut cost, like, you're going to have a, definitely a couple of good tidbits in there, but you're also going to have crap in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you want to go into the various uh, aspects of the movie? Well, yeah, one more thing that I I wanted to mention before we go too deep into it is uh-huh. when it comes to comic book movies in general, I would have I don't know if I've ever really mentioned it, but this was something that I was thinking about uh earlier this week before we watched this movie, just musing upon how we live in this period where there are so many comic book movies now yeah, yeah. that uh you know, we can really afford to be choosy about what we like and what we enjoy. Whereas in the past, I think, you know, we were super excited just to get an X-Men movie. And that was, that felt like a win in and of itself for yeah. some reason, you know? Yeah, I hear you. But, but 
but now that we have so many movies and TV shows based on comic books, let alone superhero comic books, it just feels like, well, I mean, I definitely know that we can't keep up with everything. I don't, I certainly don't watch every single thing just because it was based on a comic, you know? Yeah. Especially now. Cause yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, again, when we, we have like, what is it? I think I heard someone say that we have like four Marvel movies a year. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's just Marvel. We, we still have like DC movies. And then there's all the TV shows. Yeah. And yeah. You get other stuff like the umbrella Academy series. Yeah. We're the, we're the Mark Miller stuff on Netflix. Yeah. We're, you know, we're drowning in riches. In, yeah. In, in, in some ways. Right. Exactly. But, we just don't have the time. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, like, the boys on Amazon, too. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, there are a lot of options available to us, for sure. Yeah. And and with, with that said, I'm the kind of guy who typically, I'd say 80% of the time, I definitely prefer the source material, the comics, over the adaptation. 80% of the time, I would say that's the case. Maybe about 10%, I would say that the the adaptation is the superior version of the thing. And the other 10%, I would say, is when I feel that both of them are equally beautiful in different ways. Nice. Yeah. And with the Batman, this is definitely one of those 80%ers, you know? It's like, I would rather read any Batman comic I like over watching this movie. Yeah, you know there I mean, there really isn't any motivation for me to to rewatch the movie. Yeah, I mean the funny thing about it is, we just mentioned about how there's so much stuff to choose from, but because Batman is just such a big name, it's. I mean, it's a little hard to ignore it, right? Yeah. Like, like the Bloodshot movie came out a couple of. Right say, before like, the pandemic. Right before the pandemic. And I Blood think it Child... came out the weekend that the shelter-in-place order came down. Well, that sucked for that. Yeah. But, but the thing about that is, like, Bloodshot's a character that we've read about, or that we've read, you know, uh, in, from Valiant. And I guess in a vacuum, you could put those two together, and you could be like, well, they're both superheroes, so what's... Why is one more special than the other, right? But, like, both those movies could be equally bad. So why did we go watch Batman and why didn't we watch Bloodshot? Well, like, if we had to be perfectly honest. It's because it's Batman, you know, at the end of the day. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. We just, we're suckers, man. We're suckers for the bat. We're, we're suckers for pain, man. We, because... <laughs> We went into it, I'd say we were ready to hate it, if only because we knew the kind of people that would like it, and we were ready to hate it for them. Because of them. (laughs) We were ready to hate it because of them. We were ready ready to hate it for them. (laughs) Yeah. But but we we decided to do the episode anyways, because, again, like, it's... And and it's been doing gangbusters in terms of... uh, 
the reviews, I guess, or in terms of like fan reviews, it, it sounds like people are going crazy for it. Yeah, I mean, I think even the critic reviews are pretty respectable too. But definitely, in terms of fans, seems like everybody's loving it. It was trending on Twitter a couple times earlier this week with just effusive outpourings of love and praise. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, you know, all of that just kind of points out how different our tastes tend to be because we don't we don't always like things that a lot of other, you know, f- fans of comic book characters or superheroes tend to enjoy. Like, I don't think I heard anybody else really say that they didn't like No Way Home, you know? Yeah. So yeah. We're, I, I guess, I mean, overall, I, I accept that we're the outsiders in that case. Yeah. I'm fine with it. Overall, the general consensus was that it was a movie worth loving. Yeah. But uh, I don't know, man. We're just... or I, Well, I won't speak for you. I'll say, for me, I'm just so ingrained in the comics mentality that the comics will always, almost always be you know, preferable, you know, like 80 or 90% of the time, I, I would rather go with the comic. Oh, uh, that's just how it is for me. Yeah, you're I mean, that, that, that even goes for like anime adaptations, you know, so it's like just the comics form. Like I'll, if I read a manga of something and, and then watch the anime, like it's it's still got that 80% of the time. I, I think I prefer the source material over the adaptation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like I said, you're a purist, and uh... no, no, I'm not a purist though. I'm not a purist. Okay, you're when, an when I watch, <laughs> I'm an elitist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because because the difference is, a purist is one of those guys that watches a Batman movie and he goes, "That's not right." In the movie, <laughs> Batman's bootstraps only have three straps. They're supposed to have four. This movie sucks. They got that simple detail wrong. How could they? That, that, that's what a purist is, man. But okay, okay. an elitist is the kind of person who says, man, that Batman movie tried to adapt Ego. They used Ego as source inspiration. But if you read Ego, there's just no comparison because Ego by Darwin Cook, the master, is just such a better piece of work than this <laughs> three-hour spectacle, you know? Like, what right. Darwin Cook did in Ego in 64 pages on, you know, just a normal piece of paper and and pen and ink and colors, he did so much more within those limitations in telling an intelligent story than this multi-million-dollar production. That's an elitist, Albert. Okay, I, I I see that you clarified that, and I I'm acknowledging it, and I'm internalizing that information. Excellent, man. It's it's rare that I ever get you to acknowledge anything. Well, it's pretty late, so I don't really feel it's like a moment I have of the weakness energy. for you because you're tired. Yeah, yeah. you can't <laughs> you can't resist my wiles at this late hour. I cannot. I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, that being said, do you want to move on to, like, our our breakdown of things? Yeah, yeah, what are the talking points you want to hit up, man? So, I think the first thing that we can discuss is just the overall aesthetics of the movie. Like, 
what did you think of the look of it, the mood of it, the the music or the soundtrack? Just you know, go go ahead and pick one and like give us your thoughts on just uh, what they were trying to establish and whether it worked or didn't work for you. Well, right off the bat, I'll say I think it's a bad idea to use pop music in a Batman movie. Like that's just something I'm not a fan of. So uh-huh. trying to use something in the way by Nirvana to kind of uh, be his theme song that uh, that just doesn't work for me at all. And I think they used that music in the trailer too. And it was one of the first indications to me that I had a good feeling I wouldn't like this movie because that was the kind of choice that they were making. Right. It, it, it just feels wrong to me, man. Like, and I, I can't really explain it. I, I don't necessarily have any, real logic to it but just the idea of using pop music to be batman's theme song it it doesn't work if you're trying to tell a story that i don't know is supposed to be serious like i guess if we're thinking about like the, the 1960s batman tv show with adam west and burt ward and they had that catchy cartoon theme song you know like that was fine like that works for that show because that show wasn't it trying to be into it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But there's just something strange and artificial about using a Nirvana song to soundtrack Batman's state of mind. Like I don't like number 1, that's a song that we grew up with, so of course like our associations with it are going to be different from kids who are watching this movie and hearing that song for the first time today, like they're not going to have those associations necessarily. So I I see, I can understand if my point of view is like an outlier, but yeah, it's really just a matter of personal taste. I, I I can't say I'm a fan of, of using Nirvana in a Batman movie. Hmm. That's fair. Uh, it's, I don't know. There, yeah, I, I, I can see that. There's something unsavory about the thought of it, right? Like, it's just weird. Like, I, yeah, I just don't imagine Batman listening to that kind of music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a little different for me because I, I was, I'm not too familiar with Nirvana. So even when it came on, I, I had the vague sense that it might have been a Nirvana cover song. But I wasn't a hundred percent sure just because I'm not super familiar with their catalog of music. Mm-hmm. But you know, I imagine if they had picked something like, like if Batman's theme song was "Semi Charmed Kind of Life," I would have just been like, "That is, uh, that's a little weird," <laughs> you know? <laughs> hey, Batman! Doop 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 doop. <laughs> Well, they just got to remix it so it's a little more down tempo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, I, it was the same thing when, uh, like, anytime they they do these movies nowadays, it feels or these superhero movies, it feels like it's kind of become a trend to take an older '90s song and do some kind of remix with it. Because yeah, the uh, opening that opening montage in Black Widow also used Nirvana, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Yeah. It, did team spirit mm-hmm. yeah um but i will say i i watched the modoc show the 
the claymation or stop motion animation Modoc show on uh, on Hulu, and there was one episode where they used where they did a cover of a uh, uh, semi charmed kind of life. Or no, it wasn't semi charmed kind of life. It was I'll never get you back. I think that was the name of the song. And okay, okay. That was actually a pretty good episode. So it worked. It worked on that show because it was a comedy. So. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not opposed to using pop music in any superhero movie or anything. Like, it works in, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy or something. Or, hey, if you told me that Superman listens to Bruce Springsteen or John Denver <laughs> or something, like, I'm, okay, okay, I could see that. Well, okay, let me ask you this. Is there a kind of music, popular music, that Batman could listen to? If he does listen to something, I would imagine it'd be like Aphex Twin or Outtecker or something like that. Ooh, okay. Okay. I, I don't imagine, know any of them, but okay. I can imagine him just sitting in his cave listening to electronic ambient music. I kind of remember Aphex Twin, actually, now that you mention it. Uh, it's been a while, but that'd be an, inter- an interesting to imagine Batman listening to that. Yeah. You I mean, think it, Batman would listen to Bjork? Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> it, it, it'd be more likely than listening to Nirvana, I'd, I'd say. Yeah, I, here's what I would say: the idea of of Batman listening to to Nirvana, it it did paint this it it did paint a picture of what this batman was going to be like and i would say that the batman that we saw on the screen i guess that batman might listen to nirvana yeah i mean i don't even know if he literally listened to the song <laughs> during the movie but it's it's just that that song was associated with him cuz they play it a couple times is but the way that they decided to portray Batman and particularly how he was in his Bruce Wayne persona. Yeah, I could, I could see the, uh, well, I wouldn't even say it was a grungy element, but more of just the kind of the depression that you might associate with Nirvana's music. Like that yeah. was kind of yeah, exactly his Bruce Wayne's, uh, I don't know, define one of his defining character traits in the movie just how grim dark and down in the dumps he was broody yeah 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 well he also wore uh the black eyeliner so it kind of called to (laughs) mind the emo era It, it yeah it really did i was gonna ask what about like the other score aside from uh yeah like the actual score the actual thought, score of the movie. Yeah, I actually did like the movie. Like the the main motif that they used for his theme, I thought worked really well, and it it actually elevated some of the scenes for me. But the I think the issue that I had with the score was it was so obnoxiously loud during some scenes. When I think a little bit of restraint in terms of volume would have been fine. Yeah. Uh, I think. At the end of the movie, you mentioned that we were sitting directly underneath the speaker in the theater. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that had an effect, but I don't blame our seats for that. I blame the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, and just to describe it, like, I think the score was just some pretty heavy piano, right? Yeah, and some strings. Like I'm, yeah, like, I'm not, like, a, uh, like, I'm not well-versed in musical theory or anything like that, so I cannot really, like, describe it. Dude, a couple in... minutes ago, you were doing karaoke to Semi-Charmed Life. <laughs> That's different, though. That Like, I'm not just dis- trying to describe the uh, the instrumentals for that song. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there were some bits where they were doing, like, classical, maybe even, like, gothic music. Like, they did some Ave Maria. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was fine with that. Yeah, I think that fits for, for Batman's world. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but now that you mention it, having a, a cover of uh, Nirvana mixed in there with that does feel kind of funny, you know? The only thing that would have been funnier is if we had heard something like, Somebody once told me the world was gonna roll me. I would want to see that version of Batman. That would make me laugh. Yeah, I would. I would have been on board with that. Do you think there's any superhero that listens to All Star by Smash Mouth? Uh, Whose theme song would that be? If there was one superhero who does, who does, I would guess it was. And you might hate me for this, but I guess it was the Flash. Huh. Which one? Instinctively, I want to say Wally, but I guess I could give it to Barry because I ain't got no love for Barry. <laughs> you ain't got love for Barry? <laughs> so he might as well be the dumb one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Uh, what about uh, the visual aesthetic of the movie, Drew? Like, what did you think of that overall? Do you think there was... Anything was there anything about it that jumped out at you in terms of style? Like, do, does Matt Reeves have any uh, noticeable ticks or tricks that he likes? Because, uh, because when I think of directors uh, like, especially someone like Zack Snyder, there are obvious things that he does. Yeah. You can tell a Zack Snyder work from just like a couple of seconds, right? Like if he did like a commercial for 7-Eleven, you would know it was him. <laughs> yeah. It would be all sepia toned with a couple of slow motion cuts. But, yeah, I'm just kind of stop motion cuts, slow motion, and then like you see a fist coming slowly before it like speeds up and then you hear that impact sound with the <laughs> shoop. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know why people would be fighting in a 7-Eleven commercial, but yeah. Uh, it's a, if it's a Zack Snyder 7-Eleven commercial, he will find a way to have them fight. <laughs> True that. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, did you, was there anything that you noticed uh, from the Matt Reeves film? Um, I think the thing that stood out was probably how dark it was in general. I haven't watched any of Matt Reeves' other movies, so I can't compare... So his previous work, I looked at his credits and there were some things in there that I recognized, but I didn't watch any of that stuff. So this is really my first experience with his work. And this movie, right. it I did think that it was consistently dark in terms of the color grading and just the settings. Like even the handful of daytime scenes that we got, it still felt like a dark environment 
And I think that was purposeful and intentional. And yet, even right. though it was dark, I didn't have trouble following what was going on. Like, it was still easy and clear enough to to catch, you know, all the details and information on the screen. So that was fine. Um, I don't know if there was anything particularly exceptional about it, but I don't think it was, I don't think it was bad either. Yeah. Uh, just in terms yeah. of, yeah, like the cinematography and stuff worked out. Like there were some pretty dramatic moments here and there. I think the art design and the setting, the settings uh, were pretty interesting too, because Gotham City was, it kind of looked like a cross between maybe a modern city, but because because of the way that it was shot, and how dark it was all the time it also kind of felt like the underworld like it felt like every part of the city was just the underworld you know yeah at least the parts that we saw like everything was just run down ragged even though even though uh bruce wayne is this millionaire the place where he lives has this really really old decor you know like the the like they haven't had an interior designer in a couple of generations or something you know like that stuff could have yeah. been how houses looked back in the like world war ii or something or, or in the 40s or something so yeah i remember uh, the scene where we first get like a real good look at wayne manor and it's alfred sitting there and it is just it just looks gothic yeah you know yeah There's like all this stuff hanging off the walls all these like ornate uh like I don't even know what know what that's called. Like um, like molding, I guess. I think that's mm-hmm. what it's called, right? Just decorations or ornamentation. Yeah. Ornament, yeah. So it's. I mean, I get it. He's rich, but there was something about that that just seemed extra. I don't know. Stylistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It was stylistically presented. I I think that was. It was fine. Like I didn't. That that's definitely not one of the qualms I had with the movie. I like I thought visually, yeah, it it looked okay, and uh, the characters and most most of the costumes and stuff were okay. I I wasn't too big on Catwoman's mask. Like she was yeah. just wearing that. Uh, it looked like she just cut holes into a beanie or something. Yeah, I I kind of preferred the uh, Anne Hathaway Catwoman where she had the the goggles that got converted into little cat ears. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like yeah. It, it it just feels like anytime you do Catwoman now, I feel like the Darwin Cook version has to be the look that you go to, you know. And they they got most of that look down. Like her her bodysuit was yeah. fine. It yeah. was just the the mask when she wasn't wearing the mask i thought she looked better you know visually yeah yeah well it's that's just the thing where it was like they don't it's like they wanted to do a superhero movie but they don't want to commit to it being a superhero like they don't want it to be they want to try to avoid it being campy or whatever right so they kind of have to disguise her her costume as having some sort of utility factor or or something like that right 
But they already gave Batman all this stuff. He's wearing this yeah. crazy high-tech body armor. Yeah. But but even then, like I, I feel like that's that's the point is you you could get away with it for Batman because it's all tactical gear, right? Mm-hmm. But nobody else is really allowed to have a costume. Like even the Riddler, like his whole thing wasn't really a costume. Like he like if you look at him on his own, he he's just a dude in a ski mask, you know? Well, mm-hmm. I guess it does sort of look so I remember you telling me, and I do believe this, uh, they they were saying that they were trying to have him mimic the Zodiac Killer. Yeah. And his mask does look like the Zodiac Killer, but it's not really a... It's not really like a supervillain costume, you know? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, they explain it away by making him uh, look like a serial killer or like, you know, a, a spectacular tackler or, or a version of a serial killer right yeah and with Catwoman, it's sort of the same deal where well if we could just explain her headpiece as you know like a shawl or something <laughs> then it makes it okay because it's not a mask you know even but, though it was still covering the upper portion of her face yeah yeah like, I remember there were a couple of scenes where she was trying to have a serious moment, and you get, like, a shot of her face with this beanie thing on, and it just, it was pretty weird. Yeah. You know? It's it's a little bit, it it's definitely got that do-it-yourself aesthetic, if that's what they were going for, but it... It looks like it was made of yarn. Yeah, just seemed kind of, I don't know, undignified in this movie where everybody else... Just looks pretty hardcore, you know. Pretty, yeah, pretty put together. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the things that jumped out at me early was was those Joker guys. I don't even know what what they were, but they were like all in clown makeup. The Joker gang. Yeah, I guess they were like a Joker gang or something. And it's like a, is that a a reference to Batman Beyond or something? Maybe. But the thing about it is, like, I didn't really feel like that fit in with the rest of the movie, you know? It 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 seemed louder than everything else. It was Halloween. Oh, that's true. Uh, I forgot so, that part. Yeah. That so, could have been the reason. Yeah. It was basically just a gang where their whole thing was they were all wearing clown makeup. And Yeah. Actually, yeah. now that you bring up that opening sequence with the clown gang, that that does make me think of another element of the aesthetics of the movie. And this is also kind of like crossing into the probably the direction as well. But I think the movie pretty consistently shows Batman as this, I don't know, like he's he's like this unstoppable force that just slowly walks towards you and you can hear him coming but you just can't stop him you know and there's a couple of fight scenes that are that play around that idea where he's just so so much of an unstoppable force that once you hear him coming there's nothing much that you can do to to stop him Mm -hmm. and i don't know i think that's that's an interesting portrayal of batman that 
I don't think we normally see, but I don't think I prefer it, you know? Like, yeah. I get that they were trying to do something to make him seem more threatening than he often is portrayed, but I, I, I don't know. Like, the idea of a Batman that willingly absorbs gunfire blasts just to intimidate his enemies, I, I don't know about that. That's That's not too smart, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. the amount of punishment that he takes from from uh his opponents, especially his opponents who have guns, it's just not really I mean, I hate to say it, it's unrealistic cuz we're already talking about a Batman <laughs> movie, but I don't know, man. It it just feels like you can do a Batman movie where he avoids getting shot so much, you know? Yeah. And if he does get shot, should probably have some consequences. Well, e- even in the scenario where you tell yourself that he's all armored up, the guy's mouth is still open. If even one stray bullet goes right through his mouth, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that too. You know? Well, I mean, since we've breached it, I mean, we can go into the direction a little bit because I do think that the aesthetic of it does... It does have crossover with the direction of the movie, you know? Before we go too deep into the direction area, I do want to ask you what you thought about Batman's costume design. Uh, I think it's a little too uh, utilitarian for me. Because I think if we look at the evolution of the Bat costume over the years uh, throughout the movies... Uh, the tendency has been to just make it more and more utilitarian over time, kind of stripping away the uh, the costume elements of it, you know? Yeah, and, I mean, I remember that period of time when Michael Keaton was playing Batman and he couldn't turn his neck. Yeah, yeah. I did notice that this version of Batman has that that neck piece, like the collar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I I don't know if I'm super into this this design. Like I think he he kind of looks like he has a big forehead. <laughs> it, it looks kind of weird. Like when you see him in profile. Well, he's got a big brain, dude. Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Batman's um, super genius. Genius level intellect is one of his abilities. <laughs> I don't know about all the plating either, like how how his costume has all these uh, different plates in different areas. I guess like tactically it makes sense, but I don't know. It, it it doesn't look like the costume is too much like a costume, right? Like it looks very deliberate in how it's made that it's just designed to take punishment. So... Yeah, it's it's really just body armor, and then yeah, he put on a, a a bat shaped cowl and a cape. Yeah, like I guess if I compare it to other bat costumes that we've seen in recent years, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm still conflicted about it. Like, I, here's the thing: when I think of a costume that made it to movies. Uh, that that like that's put to the screen and where it works like i think spider-man looks good i think captain america looks good 
you know. Which Spider-Man though? Uh, like the recent Tom Holland's. I mean, like actually, you know what? Most of the Spider-Mans have been true to to the idea of what Spider-Man is. I haven't had like any huge issues with them, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's they they got it to work, you know. But yeah. But yeah, like doing this by by making uh, Batman's costume like this, I don't know. I guess it's it's fun for you know adult kids. <laughs> adult kids. Think, yeah, I bet they think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. I think I have an idea. <laughs> I had no other way to describe them. I didn't know how else to describe them. <laughs> uh, grown children. How's that? <laughs> Is that any better? What One about of you? the things I saw in the credits was that the costume was designed by Glenn Dillon. And Glenn Dillon, he's a guy with a background in comics. So got to give him a shout out there. Give him respect for doing what he's doing. Because I know he stopped doing comics and he's been working in movies and stuff for quite some time now. Although, I think he did have a comic about 10 years ago. I don't know if he's done anything since. Hmm. I know him from a lot of his 90s comics because he did a few comics with Peter Milligan. He did this series, this miniseries called Egypt. And he did some issues of Shade the Changing Man, which was my favorite comic. Uh, I think he even did like an issue of Neil Gaiman's Sandman. But, uh, yeah, his comics work has been pretty pretty sparse because he's been busy doing movies. He also did some stuff for – some design work for the Star Wars movies, the recent ones. Like, he worked on uh, the sequel trilogy, uh, Rogue One and, and Solo. Like, yeah. Like, oh, I, I remember on one of the things – Huh? He worked on Solo? Yeah, like costume design. Nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think he also designed Kylo Ren's mask in the Sorry, I, I had to take a trilogy. second to try to remember what his mask looks like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't really remember. Uh, well, you can look it up. Yeah, I'll look it up. Yeah, later. it's cool that Glenn Dillon is, uh, you know, I think he's got pretty he's good working. professional success. Yeah. Yeah. It's he's always the, good to hear. He's the brother of Steve Dillon. Okay, so I'm going to go into the directing a little bit, uh, you know, because it's, like I said, it's a little intertwined with the aesthetic of the film. So it's hard not to talk about some of these things without them uh, coming up against these other elements. But Mm -hmm. are we going to dive into spoilers now? Yeah, okay. So we'll we'll give, this is the the warning for, you know, for people who, who haven't seen the movie yet, but we're going to go into at, at this point, beyond this point we're we're going into spoilers. So, um, I think so far as of right now, we haven't really gone into anything too deep yet, just cause we're still talking about, uh, kind of the surface elements of the movie, but you know, we're, we're going to talk about it freely from here on forward. Mm-hmm. Sound good. Yep. So in terms of the directing, one of the things that, I thought was kind of an interesting choice, but I don't know whether actually I don't think it really worked too well on the screen was the fact that 
Batman was around cops like a lot. Yeah. It was it's it's the sort of thing where like really early on the the cops there were like tons of cops investigating a crime scene and Batman was just walking among them like like it was normal, you know? Yeah. And that's the sort of thing that works in comics, but for whatever reason when you see it live action, it's like it's weird. Well, you know? that's the thing, because the way that it was directed, we basically had Batman's point of view as he walks down this crowded hallway with all these policemen staring straight at him. You know, yeah. so that that's a clear directorial choice right there. Whereas yeah. in most comics, you don't see Batman walking through a crowded hallway full of cops. Typically, you see him either find his own point of entry to the crime scene so he doesn't have to deal with all these people or he may even wait until the cops are gone or he'll you know because he's batman a lot of times he's there before the cops are there so yeah yeah well but then the thing is they do this over and over again it almost feels like yeah this was a movie it happens multiple times if this was a movie where it was about the cops of gotham city it all it would almost feel like he was like the crazy neighbor or or like <laughs> some side character that occasionally shows up and drinks their coffee or something. It's it's weird, you know? Yeah. Um, like uh yeah, over and over again he shows up and he's just surrounded by all these cops. And it's it's a little jarring, you know? And and like you said, most of the times in comics, Batman shows up after the fact or before the cops before show up the cops show up you know so that he can do what he does without, without being, being disturbed disturbed exactly um, like there are definitely some comics i've read where batman doesn't even like it when cops go to the crime scene before him because he thinks they contaminate the evidence yeah he has yeah. so little respect for other people's abilities that yeah that he can't stand it when they get in the way yeah but and, yeah, I guess in this movie, that's not really the case. He's just going there when all these forensics people and detectives are combing the entire place for clues. And he's just walking among them and yeah, like, looking at the things that they're looking at. They're looking at stuff that he's looking at. He might as well have been like, hey, Joe. Hey, Bill. What's good? <laughs> yeah. <know>? <laughs> <laughs> uh. it's, it's weird because... If he had resources, why wouldn't he just disguise himself as a cop and, you know, walk in there without making a scene? Yeah. Well, but that was... The, drawing all that attention to himself, that that is a decidedly un-Batman-like move. Yeah, yeah. Like, I th when I think about Batman and how he appears in other movies, um, yeah, like, this was pretty stark relative compared to that. You know, even even in the Nolan movies, like, I don't think if, if there was a scene where there was like a crowd of people, Batman always kind of interacted from a distance, you know, like yeah, he was never among them. Yeah, exactly. So I think that goes to to the point that my personal preference for Batman is that Batman should be enigmatic, you know. To a degree where 
Like, I like the idea that people look at him and they wonder, and, and, and they don't really know what to make of him, where they're like, is he a man? Is he a myth? Is he a legend? I don't know. A legend? You know? <laughs> you know? What does a legend mean again? You know, it's, uh, it's just a legend, like a mensch. <laughs> More legend? <laughs> sure. <laughs> but, you know, like, a, a lot of the times... Uh, the idea of Batman is more scary than the reality of Batman being a guy in a bat suit, you know? Yeah. And I think we even see that play out in this movie because a lot of the cops, when they see him walking through them in the hallway, they kind of look at him with disdain. And then, you know, one guy even has the, the fortitude to put his hand on Batman's chest and be like, Hey, what do you think you're doing? You can't come in here, you know? And yeah. And then you have the whole scene where the commissioner is mad that he's in there. So it, it clearly is one of those situations where you get the impression that this isn't the first time Batman has done this. It's been a normal thing, a recurring thing, uh, even before this story begins. And that is why the other cops don't really have that sense of fear you know they have they are accustomed to him so yeah it yeah that's definitely a weird concept i think like yeah it i don't it know sort of declaws batman as yeah an idea. yeah exactly yeah i i will also say that con- co- coincidentally concurrently i don't know like parallel to that thought there are some scenes in this movie where especially towards the end where you see like batman in the day daytime Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, in other movies, I feel like you see Batman in the daytime, but for whatever reason, it felt more stark this time. Towards the end of the movie, uh, when Gotham City is wrecked and they're talking about rebuilding Gotham City, and you see Batman there, like, helping, like, the survivors mm-hmm. in the daylight like that, there was something about that that was... I would never... I felt like I'd never seen that before, you know? Hmm. Yeah, so this movie showed you something you'd never seen before. Uh, not with Batman, anyways. Yeah. So, and and I think it it sort of had that that same effect where it was like, now not only is he like amongst all these cops, he's amongst like people, people, right? So again, it's this element of once these people, once your average citizen on on the ground level is able to see you that close. Mm-hmm. Then comes the realization that, hey, this is just a guy in a giant bat suit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. What'd you think of that scene? Like, at the end, when he was, like, helping, uh, like, the military, like, save all those people. Yeah, they were about to, like, airlift somebody who was yeah. injured. Yeah. Did that strike you at all? I think I understood what they were doing with the scene. Like, that was supposed to be a scene to show Batman's humanity, to show that after the ordeal that he's just been through, he is inspired again. You know, like, he really does feel like the city has changed because of his actions, essentially, which was what he was questioning from the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So it's like that moment where he can kind of taste uh, victory in a way where somebody that he's helped is looking up to him with 
a sense of true grat- gratitude um, and thankfulness and yeah, hope and optimism. And it, it just fills them with a sense of inspiration. And I think that's what that scene was doing. And it, yeah, it worked on, on that level and I understood it, but I, I do agree that just visually it was, it's weird. it felt like something that, I don't know, felt more like a Superman scene, you know? I was just about to say that, right? Like for whatever reason, it makes sense when Superman does that because but then, I guess that's if you his think whole about persona. It, if you think about Superman, wouldn't he just fly that person directly to the hospital? <laughs> Superman ain't got time to fly people to the hospital. <laughs> He just shows up, inspires them, and then puts them on a helicopter. Okay, okay. <laughs> now I want to see Matt Reeves, the Superman. Oh, Give man. us the Superman. What if that's the entire marketing strategy for all their movies moving forward? We did have the Suicide Squad this year. Yeah. But last year. Yeah, that, that is true, man. That's All you got to do is add the word the before. That's how we're going to, that's what's going to signify this new universe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the universe. Yeah. The DC universe. <laughs> EU universe. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that I'm kind of curious on, on, uh, on your opinion of, uh, since we're discussing directing, uh, and it's a thing that you've, you've, talked about briefly but it's also a thing that we can't really ignore which is like the fight fight choreography like Mm -hmm. how did you think that came off how did you think that looked again it was something where they portrayed batman differently than i think most portrayals of him tend to be so it was it was different i don't know if I could say it was good or bad, but I would say that I didn't like it just because they made Batman this straight-up brawler type who wasn't afraid to get hit. He wasn't afraid to get shot. He didn't. He didn't have you know martial arts, or it didn't look like he had like ninjutsu abilities or whatever you want to call it. You know, like he doesn't do. He wasn't doing Batman stuff. He was just walking straight into gunfire, shrugging off the the impact because he had body armor, and then just pounding dudes in the face. And that was pretty much all he needed to do. do. He was a a heavy hitter. Yeah. And it's not my, certainly not my preferred Batman, but it also wasn't something that, that wasn't the thing that broke my enjoyment of the movie, you know? Yeah. Like, that was just something that was different not necessarily to my preference, but ultimately was more of an aesthetic and directorial choice that, I don't know, I, I guess it, it's kind of a wash in the end. Well, okay, so here's the thing that I got to ask. So we, we've we made it pretty clear what our opinion of Zack Snyder's like fight, like how he captures fighting on, on screen, right? Like, he does a lot of slow motions, and I think it's fair to say, like, he does... Because I think his background is, like, martial arts. So... Who, Zack Snyder? Yeah, like, he does a lot of films where he's got some martial arts stuff back there. Um, I want to say he's he's got some background in it. I could be wrong. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll double-check just to be sure. But... Um, 
but my point being like do you what do you th- so you you mentioned that Batman is more of a brawler here but do you think there would could have been anything done stylistically that would have made that brawling kind of Batman work for you or is it just the idea of Batman as a brawler I think it would have worked if he didn't just straight up walk at people and take gunfire. Okay. I think that I think that's probably the biggest thing because even with body armor, it, I still think it's a bad idea to just let people shoot you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it might not pierce your skin and leave an exit wound, but it hurts <laughs> it's still supposed to hurt yeah like yeah. You sh- you're sh- it's like getting i don't know taking a, a really heavy punch or a, a sledgehammer to your ribs or something you know like that you do that too many times it's not good i mean just look at football players they're just tackling each other and sometimes you can just get tackled hard and they, they're wearing uh you know padding and stuff and they can still get hurt so i don't yeah. see how taking a rifle blast from five feet away or machine gun fire from a few feet away. I don't see how he's able to just take all those shots and continue to just pound on people. It would have made a little more sense if he, if he did a little bit more to, to dodge, you know, but again, I think this was part of the idea of trying to portray Batman as this intimidating, unstoppable force where he's just, walking straight at you and he doesn't care what you yeah. do because whatever you do can't stop him and maybe yeah. that goes along with what we see when we view him interacting with the police going to crime scenes you know he's just walking straight and he doesn't care what people think yeah well what if this the the fighting style he has is just a setup for the third movie where we find out that his arch nemesis is CTE he didn't get shot in the head too much though did he it was mostly Uh, just to the chest uh you know i'm I'm sure there were enough hits to the head (laughs) oh that Uh, reminds me i was reading a batman comic earlier this week it was some of those future state batman comics by john ridley and this was a a short story that he did with Olivier Coipel and the that version of Batman he uh basically got captured by these this group of thugs and they you know they strung him up and instead of instead of just straight up killing him right away they didn't unmask him or anything but they just strung him up and this one guy got I think it was a crowbar or, or you know some metal pipe or something and he just started wailing on Batman's head <laughs> and, and like like eventually his partner crashed through the skylight and freedom and they beat everybody up they were having some banter while they were uh fighting the guys and you know dodging gunfire and stuff and and batman was like it's about time you got here i was you should be glad that i was distracting them for you and then his sidekick was like your idea of a distraction was getting hit in the head with a crowbar for 10 minutes you need to come up with a better plan (laughs) i thought you were gonna say like he was talking to his version of Robin, and he was like, "You're lucky you got here. I was about to, I was in the middle of distracting them, and then he just kind of starts slurring his speech. <laughs> <laughs> he just falls unconscious and has a seizure. 
<laughs> hey, Robin. We're joking for so long. My plan worked. <laughs> but that reminds me of another scene in the Batman where at one point an explosion goes off mm. and like he is just stunned. And this is another one of those things where it works better in comics, but it doesn't work quite as well um, when you try to apply it to the screen. So Does it work better in comics? I don't even know if I like it in comics. That's true. You you know what? You got a point. You got a point. Okay, but uh, let me let me uh, bring it up though. So the explosion goes off. Batman is stunned, and then he wakes up and he's just surrounded by cops. He's they took him to their precinct, no, nonetheless. So he was out for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like they were dealing with him at the site of the explosion. He woke up and he was at the police headquarters surrounded by police officers and Mm -hmm. even even as he was waking up they were still debating whether they were going to take off his mask or not so you can safely say that at least an hour's worth of time has passed at this point and they still didn't decide to take off his mask or not yeah (laughs) it was like that's kind of the first thing that you do (laughs) yeah that's true man it's i guess it's just one of those tropes in superhero comics when you got to preserve the hero's secret identity yeah yeah but it, it kind of feels like it would have made more sense if they just didn't put him in that position in the first place so we wouldn't have to have these thoughts yeah like thinking back to that scene it, it didn't really need to be in the movie you know like yeah. bat batman didn't need to because like it didn't really add anything to it batman didn't need to be concussed he didn't need to have that entire scene at the police station. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what it added to it. Mm-hmm. But I will say there was one pretty funny moment where him and Jim Gordon uh, have an aside. Jim Gordon convinces all the other cops to leave the room, and he's basically like, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to get him to work with us. Mm-hmm. Like, which doesn't really make sense. They have him dead to rights. What's he going to do, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> So while he's in there, you know, negotiating with the Batman one on one, like it's revealed that he's still on Batman's side, but he's gonna he's he basically tells him, Hey, hit me now, and that way you can get away. Yeah, I'll give you the key and you just go down that corridor and you can run. Did he say he gave him the key? I think so. I like that's what I thought he said. Okay. To unlock the door. I mean, I guess that makes a little more sense because I didn't I mi- I might have missed that part about the key because it looks like he just punched him and he just ran out a door. That's why I was yeah. laughing. Cause <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you tend to laugh when people get punched, generally speaking. So. <laughs> but it was a pretty bizarre scene because they, they make this deal and then he goes, okay, so this is your chance to get away. And Batman just punches Gordon and then just runs off. And he just runs down a hall, like just followed by a swarm of cops. It's... It's a pretty absurd scene. Like, well, that yeah, that sequence was super absurd because he ends up using his grappling hook. So number one, they haven't even like taken away any of his equipment, even though they uh, brought him back to the precinct. So he has all his stuff, and he uses his grappling hook to shoot up the central uh, shaft or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) and he gets to the rooftop, and he's super high. And he just jumps off, and his armor allows him to 
He's got glide. one of those flight suits, those glide suits. Yeah. Yeah, but even then, he's still, like, crashing into things and bumping stuff. And when he finally lands, it just he looks like... Dead. Yeah, it just looks like he should be dead. <laughs> but he just gets up and keeps on running like nothing happened. Yeah. Just the, the amount of punishment he takes in this movie is inhuman, you know? Yeah. I think... I think if they were going to have him escape the police like that, it probably would have been better not to show him crashing into all those things. See? In Batman th- in V Batman number 3, it's going to be Batman versus CTE. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're going to get, his greatest nemesis. <laughs> the other y'all thing, thought, that... it was, y'all huh? thought it was the Joker. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> it's his greatest nemesis is his inability to remember his friends and loved ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> concussions, man. Too many concussions messed him up. Yeah. I was going to say that the thing that happens before he wakes up in the police headquarters, it's that scene where they're in, he's in the church and then the DA, I think, the DA uh-huh. has that bomb strapped to his neck. When that thing goes off, Batman is standing right in front of him, probably almost within arm's reach. Maybe a little couple steps farther back, but he it looked like he should have taken the brunt of the blast, you know, like it's it's hard to believe that he survived that without yeah. any injuries, you know, okay, I may, maybe I could imagine him surviving, but he he didn't have so much as a burn on his face, you know, like on his jaw, yeah, yeah, he was he was completely Unscathed. I don't know why that knocked him out. But he was completely fine. Other than that, other than the he, concussion and the, the long term, super close. <laughs> <laughs> he was super close to the blast. Yeah, but I did have a thought when I was watching that scene, though. Um, like the way that they set that scene up, the guy, the Riddler, placed the bomb around the D- DA's neck. It was like locked to his neck, and. I have a feeling there's a draft of this scene where the explosion goes off and it's supposed to just blow up the guy's head. But because this is a PG-13 movie, they had to make it a bigger explosion so that it wouldn't be quite as gruesome or grotesque. That's just a theory on my part. So it's it's less violent just to incinerate his entire body? Yeah, because all you're seeing is fire as opposed to a dude's head exploding. Oh yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. That would have been pretty grotesque. Yeah. I think I have a feeling that's what he wanted to do, but he didn't get that chance. So mm. Yeah. Um Yeah. Do you have any other comments on uh anything on anything regarding the aesthetics or oh, actually I do have one other thing that I wanted to mention. Mm-hmm. Um, like when we talk about fights, uh, we 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 didn't forget to talk about uh, Catwoman's fighting, uh, how how that was directed, uh, Zoe Kravitz. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like how, like I do think that when Batman and Catwoman fight, there was a little more, like I guess, dancing to it. It didn't yeah, really feel it was like more he was ballet like. Yeah, exactly. It it. And Selena Kyle, she definitely was more flexible and uh, and agile when she was fighting. Yeah, yeah. Just so 
that that scene when she was in the club uh near the towards the end of the movie <clears throat> i thought that was pretty well done but i, I uh-huh. also did think it was funny when at the very end of it what ends up happening is that um carmine falcone just clubs her in the back of the head when she has her back turned <laughs> I don't know, man. There's just something about people getting clubbed in the back of the head when they have their back turned. That makes me laugh. Even even just hearing it, hearing someone say club, there's something funny about the sound. Club. <laughs> club. Thump. <laughs> there's just something about it. But I did like her fight, fight like the way they choreographed her fight styles in the movie. Like I, I thought she was live. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. did a good job with that. Yeah. So one of the other big set pieces that I wanted to ask you about to get your thoughts on was the car chase scene. What did you think of that? Uh I guess this ties into one of the other things that I had to say regarding the plot or the influences, but I I'll, I'll try to get into it here um a little bit. Batman like okay, that that overall car chase scene was I think it was a thing where there was a lot going on and I couldn't necessarily always tell what was happening because they were they were basically it was basically two cars chasing each other on a busy freeway. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of car crashes and a lot of explosions and um, a lot of reckless endangerment on Batman's part. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's Uh, hard to believe that nobody died. I'm pretty sure everybody died. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I, I find it harder to believe that anyone survived that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but it, it was a pretty... It was a pretty big mess. Uh, like, but visually speaking, in terms of how that scene was directed, I, I can't say it was the type of experience that I enjoyed watching. Um... That might just be a personal preference because I don't think I've ever been too into that. Like when I think about the Fast and the Furious films, I don't think that uh, I, I don't think that experience or watching any of those films have ever really done anything for me. You're not a, you're not into the car chases in those movies. Yeah, car chases and and explosions and stuff like that. So, like, so you watch Fast and the Furious for the story. <laughs> <laughs> I watch it for the acting, Drew. <laughs> I want to know if Vin Diesel can still bring it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, like, I will say that the car chase in The Dark Knight, uh, the Dark Knight is still something that mm. sticks with me. As, as someone who's not, like, a, a lover of car chase scenes but that one was i think it's because that one was clear enough where i could see what all the big pieces were going on what all the big pieces were were and what was going on and you know what it was leading up to you know Mm -hmm. that that part where the the mac truck flips over and yeah you know that that was fun yeah Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. in general yeah, I don't that 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 car chase scene in in the Batman was wasn't something that 
was visually an experience that I found too appealing. What about you? Yeah, I don't think it it was memorable because it was such a big piece of spectacle. But yeah, I guess there wasn't really like I'm not I'm also not a guy that's really drawn just to action set pieces like that. Like the reason I don't watch Fast and the Furious is because I tend to watch stuff because I'm interested in the story, you know? So like the their story car there. Car goes fast. <laughs> yeah, 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 that I stand corrected. I guess I'm gonna have to watch all those movies now. I gotta, yeah, yeah I gotta. What more do you need, up, Drew? What more do you need? That's true. You you've just explained the secret to unlock my enjoyment of Fast and Furious. Car go fast, go boom, done. <laughs> what, what 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 do you what do you want this to be? <laughs> I want to see Kenneth Branagh's interpretation of the Fast and the Furious. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. But the the car scene in in this movie was, yeah, I thought it was fine. Like as just as a piece of spectacle, it's more about the implications of it that kind of yeah. uh, make me ask those questions that. I, sh- I really shouldn't be asking when I'm just consuming a piece of superhero fiction, which is the yeah. idea that Batman, like how many people died during that car chase, yeah. you know, yeah. like that, that part is always going to be one of those things that doesn't sit too well. Cause you just have this picture of Batman in your mind where he saves people. So why would he do something so reckless in his single-minded pursuit of his prey that he yeah. wouldn't care if all these other people suffered for it, you know, unless, yeah. unless I you're caught telling that me... jaywalker, <laughs> I killed, I killed this entire family, but I caught this one jaywalker. <laughs> unless you're telling me that Batman is such a genius and a master of physical space and spatial awareness that he calculated his every move to the point where he knew that, at the speed that they were going with the angles that all the other cars on the road were going and their speeds, he calculated it so that even though cars would get wrecked and there would be an explosion and nobody would die, if Batman were that smart and you told me that was the reason why he was able to do what he did, I think that'd be even worse. (laughs) (laughs) That'd just be unbelievable, man. Well, let me ask you this. Could you follow what was going on in that scene? Was there any point where you were just like, what am I looking at? Uh, I think it was chaotic just because it was a lot of cuts to swerving cars. But for the most part, I could follow what was going on. Like it wasn't it wasn't so chaotic that I didn't understand what I was looking at or got confused because things were going too fast or it was too dark. I think the moments the little cuts that were chaotic were intentionally chaotic uh-huh. but overall i could track what was going on from beginning to end yeah and again yeah. It, it's one of those scenes where at the end it it ends with that dramatic uh walking you know like batman parks his car just far enough from where the 
penguin is flipped upside down so he can walk towards him yeah in this really menacing way and, and then, he's walking away from a fire no less exactly so that makes yeah. it even more dramatic yeah. he's walking away from the fire and then i remember that scene because the very end of it when he finally arrives at where the penguin is and the penguin's still in his car just upside down because his car flipped over and you slowly see batman's feet come towards the penguin and at the very end of it at the very end of the walk batman crouches down and he looks at the penguin and the camera just kind of holds that frame for an extra beat (laughs) it was i don't know that was a that was a strange moment to me like i was wondering what was going to happen but i think it just cut (laughs) to the next scene after that (laughs) The one thought that did cross my mind was when when he walks up to him and, like, you know, it's building up that tension. I was like, I wonder if he's just going to kick the penguin in the face. Yeah. (laughs) Batman has pretty heavy boots, man, so I bet that would have hurt. Yeah. And he can be kind of a dick (laughs) when he wants to be. (laughs) What did you think of the acting, specifically... Uh, Robert Pattinson's acting as Batman. I thought he was fine. Um, I wouldn't say that I loved him. I wouldn't say that he was bad. Like, I, I certainly appreciate that he didn't give Batman, like, a, a weird, graspy, growly voice. Um, but... And this this ties into the direction a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what the ratio of Bruce Wayne to Batman was in this movie compared to other movies, mm-hmm. but it really doesn't feel like you get to see a lot of Pattinson as Bruce Wayne, not yeah. nearly as much as Batman. Definitely like he is Batman. Batman was predominant in the movie over Bruce Wayne. Yeah. So oddly enough, it just feels like Pattinson kind of a non-entity over over the course of the film you know is that just because he's wearing a mask or because of the lines that he had or i want to explore this train of thought i think it just feels like so much of it was him being batman and uh you know being menacing or whatever like it's like when he's not sad he's mad and when he's not mad he's <laughs> that that's really just his two modes you know so that's like a i don't point i don't really see him as anything else and like not even the the couple of scenes where they talk about how he needs to maintain some sort of normal life like that was a weird thought to me where i was like so you know wayne corp is just falling apart around him like he's he's not engaged with that part of his life at all like i i kind of get that towards the end of the movie they wanted to establish this thing where you know batman finds his way through the darkness and eventually reestablishes some justification for himself as to what it means to be like alive i guess right beyond just uh, being Batman. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, just this idea that 
this entire time that he's been Batman, like he hasn't been doing anything as Bruce Wayne. It's I, I don't know. Like it's hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah, it just feels like it's a super dead giveaway that he's Batman. <laughs> i can't go to the board meeting today because i've got to beat up some thugs yeah exactly right what is he doing with all his time what is he doing with all his money building supercomputers in the bat cave and filling out his batarang budget yeah exactly just go to costco just buy him in bulk (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like i felt like pattinson was fine but it just felt like what they gave him wasn't really much to do other than, you know, being Batman. So I, I just didn't really feel like I was getting too much from him other otherwise, you know? Do you um, think that with the previous actors who have played the role, do you think because they might have played more scenes with as Bruce Wayne, do you think that makes their performances more... Uh, full or just more memorable? Huh. That is a good question. Um, yeah, I guess there's... You know what? I mean, this goes back to directorial choice, but I guess you could make the hypothesis that maybe Matt Reeves wanted to go a different direction with it by having more Batman than Bruce Wayne. Right, because we've seen so much of Bruce Wayne in all the other movies, so you know maybe we should forego all that world building that he needs to establish as Bruce Wayne and just focus on Batman. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's quite effective. You know, yeah, maybe. Maybe there's a certain kind of fan who who enjoys it because they can go, oh, we're just we're skipping all that other stuff and we're just gonna go straight to Batman, and hmm. that's essentially what we're seeing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Like right at the beginning of the movie, like we see Robert Pattinson first as well. I guess we see him kind of as. Bruce Wayne, but he's like in a motorcycle helmet or something. But then very quickly, he's Batman and then he is Batman for a while after that, from what I remember. You know? Yeah. And if you think about it, if you consider you know how there's this it's it, it there's this idea of Batman being the real person and Bruce Wayne being the mask? Yeah. It kind of feels like a lot of the Bruce Wayne scenes, he's still just being Batman. He just, you know, wasn't wearing his costume because a lot of those scenes are of him at home with Alfred. Yeah. Yeah. He's just examining his his evidence or his footage or discussing the case with Alfred or he's in the hospital with Alfred. Uh, I feel like maybe the one scene where he actually has to play the role of Bruce Wayne or at least the one that comes to memory uh, right now is the scene where he goes to the funeral for the mayor. Yeah. And that's like the one interaction. Well, not, I guess it's not the one interaction he has with Falcone, but it's the, just that particular interaction where 
he, you know, he was like wearing his mask essentially to this gathering with hundreds of other people around him. So uh, even though like, you know, in his heart, he knew why he was really there. And then that whole scene where at the climax of the funeral scene where the car crashes into it, he's the one who has the presence of mind to save the boy who was orphaned earlier in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. And so like in that sense, he's, he's like always Batman, but every so often he acts like Bruce Wayne because he still knows how to function in society at these gatherings. Yeah. I, I, I remember you sent me some review where somebody was like, they were talking about how they liked Pattinson as Bruce Wayne because he was awkward. Hmm. Did you remember seeing that? I don't remember sending you that review at all. You sure that was me? Yeah, like it was one of the screen captures that you sent me. It was, you know, it was in, there was a bunch of uh, different things that people were saying, but one of the things that. Oh, you mean uh, something on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, sorry. It wasn't like an official review. It was oh, just okay. Okay. someone, some buffoon talking. But <laughs> <laughs> he was just talking about how, like, oh, like, this version of Batman is, you know, is a realistic version of Batman because he's, like, awkward and, like, kind of weird or whatever, you know? And I didn't really get that impression. Yeah, I don't think... If that was... I didn't feel like that was a conscious choice that they were trying to... Uh, to to insert into the movie, you know, so it, yeah, I don't like. I don't think he was awkward. I thought he was mopey, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But speaking of the acting, like I, I mentioned earlier at the top of the episode, uh, that there were a lot of really big names, uh, or or like just actors that I recognize, uh in this movie and for whatever reason like i just feel felt like everybody was not everybody but there were a lot of people that were just chewing the scenery you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. like uh one of the guys that we mentioned uh was the da he was he's actually someone that i've seen in other movies too his i think he's uh peter skarsgård mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure that's his name and this guy is, you know, he does, like, indie movie type of stuff and, like, some, maybe not quite Oscar caliber, but, like, they're movies that aspire to be, to win, like, awards, you know? Mm-hmm. And the thing about, uh, although I will say he was in Green Lantern as Hector Hammond, and even though I didn't watch it, uh, I'm pretty sure he was bad in it. <laughs> I didn't know he was in Green Lantern? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but... I'm pretty sure it was him. Um, I'll I'll have to double check, but I don't think he was particularly good as the sleazy DA. Like mm-hmm. I think it was serviceable. Uh, Colin Farrell as the Penguin was. It, it's like you were saying earlier. Like it just felt like he was doing this stereotypical mafioso kind of character, but extra zany. Yeah, I, I half expected him to go. I want the gabagool. I want the gabagool. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Give me the gabagool. 
I don't know what that is, but you're making me laugh. <laughs> um, and John Totoro is another guy who he was in The Big Lebowski, and he's been in some other indie type films, and you know he's he's capable of doing good things when he wants to, but. He was also in Michael Bay's Transformers, so he's also capable of doing crap, <laughs> which is which is pretty disheartening to see, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like he he played his character was Carmine Falcone, and he was another guy that was just really playing up to the almost stereotypical mobster Italian yeah. <laughs> stereotype. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was not my preferred version of that character. Like I I don't have any any like particular love for the character of Carmine Falcone, but I definitely don't imagine him that way when I do think <laughs> about him on the on whatever rare occasion that he comes into my mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah. Uh what about uh, Jeffrey Wright as commissioner or not commissioner but James Gordon? Yeah, uh He's an, and he's another guy who I've seen in other things and he he usually comes off as a pretty like cuz he's got like this really deep voice. So he comes off as like a pretty powerful character when he acts, right? Like mm-hmm. commanding and mm-hmm. I don't know. There was just something about how he came off in this where it it just felt like a caricature of of a of a of a cop or something, you know? It just you know what he reminded me of? Like I enjoyed his performance, but he definitely yeah. reminded me of a stereotypical '80s action movie cop, <laughs> like the I'm kind of guy. Too that... old for this. Exactly. I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> like it's my last day on the job. I just yeah. got to get through this day. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Spouting just all kinds of '80s catchphrases. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my mama told me not to go into work today. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did like what he did with the role. Like he was definitely an enjoyable actor for me in this movie. Okay. Like I think I think he might have been my favorite performance in the movie as okay. as James Gordon. Like Pattinson himself as Batman, I thought was fine too. Like I I don't know if I've ever really thought about ranking or comparing all the different Batman actors that we've had. I mean, for yeah. me, I don't think anyone's ever going to top Kevin Conroy, so I don't even like bother ranking everybody else. Yeah. But as far as the live-action Batman goes, one thing I did like about Pattinson was he didn't do that thing that Christian Bale did where he made his voice sound like Cooking Monster. He just, you know, he was just sounding like a gruffer version of himself, which is probably more uh, believable, I, I suppose. Yeah. But I feel like if you really think on all the different Batmans that we've had. Christian Bale is the only one that did that. I'm pretty sure everybody else just did a that's rougher yeah. version of their own voice. Even Ben Affleck. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. That, that's yeah. true, man. 
Christian Bale is unique in that way. So yeah, he he's the one who decided to do a voice. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Still one of the stranger decisions of the Nolan trilogy, I think. But yeah, for I guess it makes that him memorable. So hard to to be serious and to to be taken seriously. That was a decision that did not help. That. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think one thing about Robert Pattinson's portrayal as Batman, though, I wasn't too big a fan of his haircut. Uh-huh. Just the way that he styled his hair in the movie, especially when he was acting as Bruce Wayne. it That that was the kind of thing that I think could give you the impression that he was acting like an emo kid. And it didn't help that some of those scenes where he was wearing the eyeliner, like it, uh-huh. it really gave this weird vibe. And maybe... Maybe that's what people want to see when they see Robert Pattinson in a movie. They just want to see, like, you know, the gorgeousness of his hair or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know what he looks like normally, so... He doesn't have long hair. (laughs) Yeah. At least when I think of him from, like, Twilight, which is probably the thing he's most known for, he didn't have long hair in that. Uh, I never watched those movies, so I have, I have no idea. Like, I I, I got to admit, I didn't even know who he was until he was playing the Batman. Oh, okay. I'm pretty okay. I'm pretty ignorant of uh, actors and, and movies because, you know, I'm too busy reading comics. You have your priorities. I respect that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I rely on you to bring all the technical movie knowledge <laughs> since you, you watch way more movies than I do. Thanks. Thanks. It's good to know that I serve a purpose. Yeah, man. Definitely. Don't don't sell yourself short, man. You got <laughs> you got the movie knowledge and you yeah. do the 1920s Chicago gangster voice. <laughs> Those are two things I absolutely cannot replicate no matter how hard I try. I could do my mafioso voice more now. A gabagoo. A gabagoo. <laughs> hey, I'm talking here. I'm walking here. Hey. <laughs> Hey, Batman, I'm walking here. Ugh. See, that's the movie I wish we had gotten. <laughs> <laughs> to the Italian Defamation League, I apologize in advance. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one thing I did appreciate about Pattinson's acting as Batman, though, was his body language. Like, he... If he was just trying to portray an intimidating Batman, then I think he did a good job with that. It's just that the situations that they placed him in were kind of ridiculous. Like, again, going back to the idea of him walking down a crowded hallway packed full of cops yeah, on the way to a crime scene. Like, that, that's a, that's a bizarre idea in my mind. But huh. given that that's what he had to do, the way that he carried those scenes, it, I thought he did it did that well and and you you know wearing the mask and the costume and stuff you, you're not really emoting too much so it's it's got it's just got to come through your body language mm-hmm. I, I think he did a, that's a good point a good that's job good. with that like he, just the way that he carried himself in the costume like he felt like somebody that that you wouldn't want to mess with you know like him coming out of the shadows to beat up those clown dudes in the beginning just looking mean, you know, like he did a good job of looking mean. And I guess yeah. he did a good job of looking sad in those uh, sad <laughs> scenes. But it's yeah, like you said, he like those two emotions were probably the predominant ones throughout the movie. 
And yeah. he he definitely had those nailed. Well, I wanted to do or discuss one more or a couple more, but uh, I want to talk talk about Paul Dano also. He's mm-hmm. he's someone that I've he's a character that I've seen in a couple of things I mentioned earlier. He was in Looper. He was in Little Miss Sunshine. He was in uh, There Will Be Blood. He's a guy who I think people always felt like he was going to be a future Oscar contender, you know? Like mm-hmm. he was just going to do a lot of big things. He was he was like an actor, right? Yeah. Like, an, like a serious actor. But watching him as the Riddler, there were certain decisions where I was just like, kind of undignified it was pretty undignified it was him i i don't know if he just watched other other super villain movies like maybe like it, it makes me question whether he watched jack nicholson's joker or something <laughs> and just decided to like really chew the scene you know yeah uh, it's there's there are scenes especially early on where his when when he tries to portray himself as crazy when he tries to make his voice go like up you yeah. know when he hits those high pitches it's just it it makes it super hard to take him seriously you know and you want to get nuts let's get nuts yeah kind of <laughs> it, it kind of felt like that but but the thing is there were scenes later on when he wasn't in mask or in character where he just was kind of playing a more meeker version of himself. Like mm-hmm. I bought those scenes, you know, when he was yeah. just kind of this more subdued character. Like, yeah, I, I, I found those to be far more fascinating. One, once they arrest him and, you know, for all intents and purposes, they have him dead to rights and he's really just toying with them. Mm-hmm. Like, that felt more real or not more interesting to me until the point where he loses his crap and, you know, just goes off the rails and, and starts yelling. It, it, that, that's when he loses me again, you know? Somebody needs to do a mashup of those scenes of him with the Michael Keaton Batman where Michael Keaton's like... You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. That's just yeah. a funny scene, man. That's a that's a zany Batman that that's like the one thing in the first Batman movie that's always stuck with me all these years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, man, I'm 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 having a hard time talking about this because it's kind of a touchy way to go to discuss it, but it's a touchy subject to discuss, but I feel like his version of the Riddler, like the Riddler is a character that I do like, and I've always preferred my version of the Riddler to be the smuggest, smartest guy in the room. So in the War of Jokes and Riddles, you were on Team Riddler? I was on Team I Don't Want to Read This Anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah but the way again the way that they that paul dano portrayed him it when when he was more subdued and more controlled he felt like the smartest guy in the room 
But when he lost that control, it just it just seemed more zany to me than than menacing, you know. And you know, Albert, I'm getting the impression that you don't take people who get hysterical very seriously. <laughs> I don't. I really don't. <clears throat> but I'm getting to. So what I'm getting to is one of the best examples that I can think of uh, for this kind of character is in the movie Seven, and it's it's a hard movie to talk about now because Kevin Spacey has been revealed to be a harassing sex monster, mm-hmm. and uh, you know he's he's pretty gross and not good so it it very much taints the movie but on another on another level uh it kind of makes it make even more sense now because <laughs> <laughs> because kevin spacey's character in that movie is 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 the smartest guy in the room and he never loses it he is always in control of his emotions and that's mm-hmm. what makes him so eerie and so menacing and i just wish paul dano had done that instead mm-hmm. you know yeah. why couldn't kevin spacey have been the creepy one with the loud voice and the hysterics <laughs> what you know and paul dano could have been the the more subdued controlled one you know yeah yeah, so. I don't. I wonder if that was an acting choice on Paul Dano's part, or if he was directed to act that way. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Cause, cause if you think about it, it's it's the kind of behavior that if you told me that that's an acting direction that you wanted for someone who's playing the Joker, I'd mm-hmm. I'd. I think okay, I guess that makes sense. It makes more sense, right? Because yeah. the Joker is a lunatic, but th- that's not really the Riddler. The Riddler is just—he's kind of a, a a narcissist. He's a dude who's clearly intelligent. You got to be intelligent in order to take over to mm-hmm. take a city hostage. So and <laughs> no, right? like especially coming up with all those riddles and puzzles so he's he's not stupid you know so just this idea that he would be so unhinged is just doesn't seem right you know you felt like it demeaned the character a bit and took away some of the threatening elements of him yeah 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 absolutely he would have been yeah. far more interesting if he had just played it straight. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I've seen and I've seen him in other movies where he 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 doesn't lose control on, on camera and it's just way more powerful when he does it, you know? Yeah, I could imagine that. Because I I haven't seen or I don't think I've seen his other movies, but watching him in this one Definitely those moments when he acted like an insane person. Like those were the moments that were kind of strange because 
it's exactly as you, you were saying. He, here he is portrayed as this hyper-intelligent serial killer who can also hold the city hostage. And, and yet there's just something in his mind that is not normal. And that's why he acts that way or talks the way that he does when he gets a little unhinged, even though he's calculating enough to plan all these plan all all this stuff out you know like even to the point where he's been able to gather followers online and even though it's not necessarily a massive following it's a fanatical following yeah it's strange to think that a guy with that kind of personality would be charismatic enough to get all these other people you know, he becomes their rallying point, basically, like these fringe elements of society who, who want to cause mayhem by eliminating the people that they view as the elite or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty over the top when he does it. it yeah. Uh, that's that's all I got to say about that on Paul Dano. So I remembered what I was going to say about uh, Robert Pattinson earlier when I lost my train of it. thought. One one thing about him, too, that stood out was the narration that he was giving in the beginning of the movie and at the end of the movie. Like, number one, I feel like nowadays it, it feels kind of rare to have that first person uh, voiceover, the narration in, in a movie. It kind of uh, harkens back to that older style of storytelling, specifically old crime noirs. Like, I've watched noir films from you know, the 40s and the 50s and stuff. And that kind of writing seems to be more common from that time period. And I think because this movie, The Batman, has a heavy crime story element, maybe that's why they decided to to go with the first-person narration. Yeah. And I was thinking about that whole uh, element in the movie just as a just generally speaking and like one of the things about it is if I, I i don't remember the exact lines now you know i've only watched the movie once i don't have a script in front of me but i'd be very interested in in looking at the words reading the script and then hearing him perform it in the movie again because i actually thought that when he was doing those lines in the movie i thought i thought they were effective you know like i thought his reading was effective i thought that he did a good job in terms of conveying this mood of of uh his his emotional state you know like just i guess you could accuse him of being mopey or whatever and you know that that's fair that's fine i mean that's what he is he was he was portraying a mopey batman and he gave us a mopey batman so he accomplished that um with his reading and at the at the end of the movie i thought the the way he was portraying the those lines and explaining how he basically you know had his hope restored the idea of of him being able to have an impact on the city like i i felt that was a pretty good reading too so yeah i i guess i'll have to give him some respect for for that um but the other element about the narration and maybe i'm moving uh away from the acting now but i I did think it was strange to only have 
his narration at the beginning and at the very end of the movie. Yeah. And it's not that I think if you do it at the beginning and at the end, you have to do it throughout the entire movie. But I, th- I think what stood out for me was just that in the beginning of the movie, we start with getting the narration. So it's, it's just straight up, uh, you get this peek directly into Batman's mind. And then the rest of the movie, as the movie goes on, like the meat of the movie, you don't really get a whole ton of interiority. So it doesn't really give him a whole bunch of emotional complexity and development throughout the film. You kind of just get this thing where at the very beginning of the movie, he tells you where he tells you where he's at at the start of things, you know, like this is his mental state at the start. And then at the end of the movie, he just tells you this is how he feels now. And obviously the reason why he feels that way at the end is because of all the stuff that happens in the middle. But as a viewer, you only really get to see him like engage in a bunch of different spectacle. So because I think as a Hollywood blockbuster movie, you're kind of, obligated to give the audience a bunch of spectacle you know everything you're just navigating the characters to action set piece to the next action set piece and and that's just kind of the formula of how these things are it it doesn't really feel like he gets that batman gets a lot of internal development that feels like it should have been implied or I, i guess that it felt like we were promised to get some internal development from the beginning of the movie. And we don't really get to see that too obviously um, throughout the movie. And like one of the things that, that did bug me about the movie was just how quick he was to lose faith in Alfred. You know, like he, he learns from the Riddler that his father, that Thomas Wayne might've been corrupt and, you know, had these shady dealings. And the first thing he does when Alfred wakes up from his injury is to call him a liar. And it just feels like one of those things where, logically speaking, why wouldn't he just, like, talk a little bit calmer, you know? Like, why why is the first reaction to basically accuse the person that raised him of being a liar when he has no reason to really believe that other than the word of a madman? Yeah, it's pretty funny, too, because you just witness him get blown up, and he thought that his father figure was dead, but the first time he sees him, he's like, you bastard! Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's weird. It's a weird moment, man. Yeah. I guess it kind of feels like whatever character development Batman undergoes throughout the film, it's just not really depicted you know because all we really see is just him going from place to place getting into fisticuffs or you know taking explosions in the face and you don't really see too much of you don't really get a good sense of what he's thinking inside it feels like the emotional crux of the movie is about batman questioning why he does what he does and whether it's worth it right but yeah you don't really you see him struggle with that at the beginning, you know, he kind of explains it during the opening narration, but then during the movie, that doesn't really 
it doesn't really feel like it comes up. I mean, maybe it does, and I'm just not remembering an important scene or something, but it it doesn't really feel like it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a real exploration of whatever emotional trauma that he's working through. Whatever he's working through, it's he's not, yeah. you know, he's not working through it in his head, right? We don't see that play out at all. Unless you want to tell me that he's working through it every time he punches some dude in the exactly, face. Exactly, exactly, right? <laughs> it's just like every time he punches another gangster, he gets one step closer to feeling a little bit of closure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I did also want to talk about uh, Zoe uh, Kravitz's acting in it um, just a little bit too. Uh, I thought she was, you know, she was fine. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think I have some bias towards her because I do, I do like her just because I like her. Like, you know, uh, like one, I, I, I find her attractive, but I've also seen her in other things, and you know, she's, you know, she's just likable. So I don't really. So that might. Uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, that might color you my to incline. You're you're inclined to view her more favorably. Yeah, there we go. There we go. It 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 colors my my perception of her. Mm-hmm. So, so, but I I thought she was, you know, fine here. Uh, she's definitely a better Catwoman than the Catwoman in that cartoon that we that cartoon trailer that we saw. <laughs> the Catwoman was in that. You remember that Catwoman uh, animated movie? Oh, the saw? animated movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Where that, that everything one. that she said was just kind of a come hither sex pun, and it just it was just awful. Yeah. What is that thing called? Catwoman Hunted or something? I don't remember. I, I don't know. I just remember it was lame. But yeah, it looked pretty bad. I'll take this cat. I'll take Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman over that any day. Heck, I'll probably take her over Michelle Pfeiffer. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. What about over Anne Hathaway? Oh, uh, would I take her over Anne Hathaway? Now I you're doing really... that thing where your voice is going up a few octaves. Cause I'm thinking. I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, I'd have. You know what? Well, Anne Hathaway was in a pretty. She was in the weaker. Uh, uh, like maybe the weakest Nolan Batman film. Yeah. It was definitely the weakest Nolan Batman film, so yeah. Okay, I'll take I'll take Zoe Kravitz over Anne Hathaway. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right. So, did were you, there any did other? Did you know act- that uh, her father is Lenny Kravitz? I did. They should have had a Lenny Kravitz song in this movie, man. That would have been weird. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if it would have fit. <laughs> I think I like because she's someone who's been kind of around for a long time. Uh. She's acted in a bunch of smaller things, and I feel like in recent years, her her career has she's gotten a, uh, a little more prominent. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that she was in Mad Max: Fury Road. Oh, okay. She was a supporting character, and uh, I'm trying to think what else she was in. I think she's on like an HBO series or something right now. HBO Max. It's either a series or a movie or something. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, she was in a Hulu version, uh, like, 
I think it was either a mini series or something, but it was a uh it was what's what's the word where they it was a remake of of what's that one movie high fidelity i think okay yeah i don't know anything about it yeah it was a remake of high fidelity but she's the main character instead of uh i want to say john cusack but anyways i saw something on twitter so i don't and i didn't verify whether this was true or not Uh but according to uh what i saw jason momoa is like her stepfather and channing tatum is her boyfriend i yeah i think she's going out with channing tatum right now i don't know well i saw i saw a picture of them where they were like shoulder to shoulder or like they, they you know they were like side hugging each other and or something and you know yeah. getting excited to watch her her new movie yeah and it was just uh one of those things that was trending along on on twitter yeah so i think jason momoa's wife i don't know if he's still with her but uh she, she might have been in a relationship with lenny kravitz ah geez i forgot her name i know she was on the cosby show which was weird oh but, wow cosby yeah. show huh her yeah her mother's this might be the first episode of Between the Gutters with the Cosby Show reference. <laughs> you know the Jello pudding pop. Oh, you gotta take the spoon and put it in the pudding. <laughs> okay, now we've got a straight up Cosby reference. <laughs> you see, you see, kids. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. I. I don't think it is a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> you see, kids, we used to sit on the corner with the hippin' and the hoppin' <laughs> and the bippin' and the boppin'. <laughs> it only took 117 episodes for a, a Cosby reference. <laughs> All right, so we've talked about the acting a little bit. Um... Did you want to go over the plot now, uh, just in terms of what worked for you in the plot and what didn't? I think one of the things that didn't work in the plot, and this is something that uh, we are, we talked about like immediately after watching the movie, but one of the things that I didn't really care for was how Batman himself just felt incompetent at what he was doing. He was dumb. Batman is really dumb. (laughs) Straight up. (laughs) Just so dumb. (laughs) Straight up, yeah. Yeah. We we see it in some of the elements we already discussed, such as how his fighting style was. Yeah. How he just, you know, takes so much damage. He's just walking into people. But I think the bigger problem was that he didn't even... he He didn't seem like a good detective, you know? Like, he was just one step behind all the time and he didn't even save solve the crime in, in time to save the city i mean yeah. he, he couldn't even save the guy with the bomb strapped to his neck yeah well so in, in a way it was like who like batman was just what did letting, he do <laughs> what did he achieve <laughs> yeah exactly what did he do what did he accomplish yeah yeah it no exactly it just felt like 
it, it felt like they wanted to show how smart he was because he was able to solve all these riddles, right? But he was always solving... It's like you said, he was solving them after the fact, after he got the clues. So that... Mm-hmm. I just feel like if he was really smart, he would have been able to solve them... He would have been able to catch the Riddler before he had done what he had done, right? That yeah. should be the sign of how smart you are. But instead, he was just always a step behind and everyone that the Riddler was attempting to kill, he basically for the most part was able to kill. And then on top of that, on the one instance in in the one instance where the mayor was about to be assassinated, the only reason she lived was because the 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 guy that shot her with a sniper rifle, might I add, was a yeah. bad shot. So if the only reason that your uh that this that a character survives is because the person that's trying to kill her is a bad shot, that's not really a good storytelling device. Yeah, it's pure dumb luck. Exactly. Exactly. So Batman fails to save all these people when and at the end, when he catches uh, the Riddler, it's mostly because the Riddler turns himself in. He's really quite done with toying with him, yeah, uh, for the most part. And he he has one final riddle left, and he's. But part of his plan is to be in jail at this point. And the final riddle is that he's gonna blow up the seawall and flood the city. And he does just that. He gets away with it. Batman. Just as he solves the the final riddle, that's when the explosions go off. Yeah. So he wasn't even able to figure it out and stop the bombs before it happened. Yeah. That, <laughs> you know? That's not a good look for Batman. Yeah. How many people died in in the ensuing flood, in the mass shooting plot that followed after that? How many people died? And on top yeah. of that... That giant uh, electrical wire that fell into the water. I'm. Some people had to die from that. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> don't for, don't forget the explosion on the freeway during the car chase. Yeah, Batman. Batman was chasing down the penguin, and, and that's the the other funny thing I was thinking. He's chasing down the penguin, and he like wrecks this highway just to catch the penguin, right? And when he catches him. One, the penguin's not even the guy that he really wanted. Like, his entire hypothesis was wrong. <laughs> and two, like, they even point this out in the movie. Like, he, uh, what does he say? There's a difference between L and La. Oh, yeah. In Spanish. And Batman doesn't know that, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in his mind, uh, the, the, I, I don't speak Spanish either, but the entire riddle was about the flying rat or something like that. But because of a, a grammatical misunderstanding on their part, they thought that the flying rat was a stool pigeon because a flying rat in Spanish is another word for a pigeon, right? Mm. And But because of their misunderstanding, it was like the flying rat and what is the flying rat it's a bat so 
<laughs> how do you how did he not know this? <laughs> Even when I heard the flying rat, there was a part of me that was that was wondering if they were talking about Batman. That's that's exactly the first thing that popped into my mind, honestly. Like when he said stool pigeon, I was like, huh. That we're, didn't cross my mind at all. The first thing that came to my mind was a bat. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, funny thing is, I, I think the reason why that's so ingrained in me is because back in the Batman, the animated series, there was that one episode where Catwoman says, bats are just mice with wings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's always st- stood with me. Yeah. Yeah. So this Batman was pretty stupid. <laughs> he was pretty bad at his job. Yeah, he probably failed to save more people than he actually did save. Like the only <laughs> he saved those people at the end when they were trapped under the rubble. Yeah. And that was kind of a dramatic heroic scene where he was, you know, it's just a do-gooder doing something good. It was Nothing. a photo op. <laughs> yeah, it was a photo op, but in a way the amount of damage that he caused just through his incompetence was pretty high yeah 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 man i uh yeah i can't say that i had too much respect for him as a detective yeah and fundamentally you know what i think the problem is and this is something that i just considered recently because i it was a comic that i read recently but in Batman Black and White, one of the more recent Black and White series that they did, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey did a, a Riddler short story. And it's 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 definitely one of the greatest Riddler comics of all time. I forget if I told you about it, but I'll just tell you again for the benefit of the podcast. So in this story, the way that it's crafted, it's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure, but you're playing it from Batman's point of view. So... You read a a panel, and then at the end of the panel, there's a caption or a couple captions that give you choices. Like he's he's chasing the the premise is that he's chasing after the Riddler, and the Riddler's giving him these like you know the riddles and the zany clues and whatnot. And Batman has these choices to decide what he's gonna do. Like is he gonna like spend time to answer this riddle, or is he just gonna like kick down the wall and chase the Riddler when the Riddler is is escaping? Um. And as you, the reader, make these different choices, you know, you if you pick this choice, you go to page so-and-so and look at panel six or whatever it is, you know, like a choose-your-own-adventure story. And what you, what you don't know is that this game, this choose-your-own-adventure is rigged so that whatever choice you make, you end up killing Batman. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and he ends up dying in these, like, comically hilarious ways there's even an ending where killer croc eats all the orphans (laughs) wow (laughs) (laughs) so the only way to to win is to ignore the riddler's rules that he set out for you and you just have to read your way to the end of the comic you know just force yourself to read to the last panel where batman wins and there is no choice that leads you there. You just have to not play by the Riddler's rules. Wow. That's clever. Yeah. It's super clever, man. It's it's yeah. really one of the best Riddler comics I've ever read in my whole life. And it's 
it's executed in just this ingenious way, man, in a way that I don't think I've ever seen anybody do a comic like that. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how you could do something like that in film or television or try to replicate that, but it works perfectly in a comic because no one's controlling what you're looking at except for you. And once yeah. once you break those rules that the Riddler has set for the game, that's how you win. So I feel like that's the fundamental element for seeing Batman defeat the Riddler in any decent Riddler story, right? He, he can't just follow the clues and answer the riddles every time the Riddler presents them to him. He has to play his own game. You know, he can't play the Riddler's game. He's got to do his own thing, do his Batman thing. Yeah. And just take down the Riddler outside of the Riddler's game, you know? And yeah. that's not what the Batman does in this film. He completely plays the Riddler's game and fails, you know? Like, yeah. that, that's the consequence for playing the bad guy's game in Batman's world. Yeah. You screw up. There was um there was something that I was a little... Con- no, that I was perplexed by when I was watching the movie, though, at, at the end. Um, so at the end, the, they imply that the Riddler is so smart that he, my interpretation of the scene was that he knew that Bruce Wayne was Batman. I'm pretty sure that's still the case, right? That's what my impression was too, but I, I think they might might have left it just ambiguous enough where you could tell yourself maybe he doesn't quite know, but I'm pretty sure he does. Um, but the thing that I was confused by was towards the end of the movie, after the Riddler turns himself in, uh, Batman goes to the asylum where the Riddler is being housed and they have a conversation with each other. Right. And, you know, it's, it's this cat and mouse sort of scenario between the two of them and, what Batman ends up saying to the Riddler is that no one is going to remember you after this. You're going to be forgotten. And the Riddler just goes ape after that. You remember that? Yeah. Right? And that's it. That's kind of his Pyrrhic victory is that, oh, you think you're a smart guy. You think you've made this huge difference. But, uh, you know, in the end, no one's going to remember you. Blah, blah, blah. Right? Yeah. And, like... The Riddler just goes nuts after that because in his mind, he, he he's told himself, oh, the Batman's right. No one's ever going to remember me, yada, 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 right? But mm-hmm. thinking about that, the guy just murdered a bunch of dudes and, like, mass murdered a large swath of the city. I'm pretty sure people are going to remember him. Yeah, it's hard to believe that he would be forgotten. Yeah, it's hard to believe that he's going to become this obscure guy locked away in a asylum. Maybe like, they won't know his real name, but they'll know the Riddler and they'll recognize the mask with the glasses. That dude, you know, like that image of him cuz he was he was uh broadcasting his uh video, his self-taken footage and you know, they were playing it on the news, so that stuff is out there. It's, yeah. Hard to believe that but everybody's I'm pretty just sure forget. the news would reveal who he is. Yeah, I, that I too. Mean, even if they, you know, even if you told, if he could tell himself, 
you know, we've captured the Riddler, but no one's going to know who Edward Nigma is or whatever. And Edward Nash, whatever. I think he went by some other name. But they caught this dude. Uh, I'm pretty sure the news is going to just tell everybody that that's who he was. <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> yeah. So so when the Riddler lost his mind after that, as again, this this being uh, the Batman's way of getting back at him, that. Mm-hmm. That felt pretty hollow to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Were there any other uh plot points that you can think of or or themes or anything? I, I did notice one thing that mm-hmm. throughout the course of the movie he was referred to as vengeance quite a bit. Yeah. Did you I have think any that thoughts was... on that? Yeah, I think that was intentional because they were trying to hammer home this idea of who Batman is and what he represents. Because I think they were trying to say that vengeance, like the idea of Batman as vengeance doesn't work because that's not fundamental to his character, you know? Like when we think about the platonic ideal of who Batman is and what he represents, it's not really vengeance because if it were vengeance, why wouldn't he just be killing everybody who messes exactly. with him? Exactly. Yeah. It's not real vengeance if you don't kill. That's it's kind of antithetical to the to the concept if you don't kill, right? Yeah, exactly. And then even in this movie, you see him specifically try not to uh trying to prevent selena from killing whenever she has the opportunity to you know like two occasions when she has a chance to, to kill somebody he, he certainly does what he can. didn't kill people on purpose yeah yeah i mean yeah as long as you ignore all those people who died in the explosion <laughs> on the freeway <laughs> if what he did was killed any of the villains and told himself it was an accident it would have been fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh. But the whole idea of him calling himself vengeance and other people making those references, I, th- I think it is supposed to make us, make the audience think of how Batman isn't really about vengeance. And by the end of the movie, you see that come to fruition when he essentially <laughs> learns how to love again and learns how to smile again. And, you know, there's hope and optimism in the world and, and, he he realizes that what he's supposed to stand for is not necessarily vengeance, but actually hope. Because that bat symbol on his chest, it it's Kryptonian for hope. <laughs> uh I don't I don't think I believe that. I don't think <laughs> that's that's a version of the Batman that works for me. <laughs> you don't believe that Batman should symbolize hope? No, no, not at all. <laughs> so what what does Batman symbolize? Uh, I think justice should be. I mean, that that makes sense, right? Yeah, I would agree right? with that. Yeah, like I I feel like that's. I I don't really feel like there are any big DC characters at least any Justice League members 
that would embody the ideals of vengeance. Actually, I'm pretty sure no Justice League member embodies that ideal or idea, you know? Yeah. I will say Uh, that one of the influences or inspirations for the Batman that uh, Reeves mentioned uh, as one of his sources was Batman Ego by Darwin Cook, uh-huh. which we mentioned a little earlier in the podcast. But the end of the end of Ego. Well, here, here's where I'll say. Here, here's where I'll point out what I see might have been the influences. But Ego is a story about Batman wrestling internally with who he is and what he does and why he does it and figuring out if doing what he's doing has any purpose. And, you know, he's just experiencing kind of an existential crisis or a moment of heavy self-doubt. And it's a 64-page one-shot, and most of it is just this conversation that he has in his mind with his ego, you know, his subconscious mind. They're just arguing about, what he's doing and whether it has value and why he's doing it and pretty much the interesting thing is at the end he does decide that even though batman is a symbol of fear to the underworld batman is also a symbol of hope to the innocent people you know so like in i guess in that sense batman is a symbol of hope he represents hope in some way that maybe isn't quite the same as the way that superman inspires hope But maybe for a certain type of denizen of the DC universe, he is a symbol of hope. So even with that said, you don't, you personally don't view Batman as a symbol of hope. Uh, I don't, let me put it this way. I don't, it's not the first thing I think of when I think of what Batman represents. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to say that there isn't a story that could be told where we explore the idea of hope through Batman. Mm-hmm. Like if if there's someone who can do a, a good story that portrays Batman that way, I'm not against it. I, I'd be willing to check it out. And uh, <laughs> that's ego. Yeah, I'm open to it, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll say that much. And I I think the the big difference between the two is that ego is focused around that central idea, you know? It's, as a comparison point, ego and the Batman are both about Batman questioning himself and why he does what he does and whether it's worth it. Uh But the difference between them is that the Batman is just this action-driven spectacle that portray- happens to portray Batman constantly failing at what he's doing because he's incompetent <laughs> and letting all these people die as a result of his inability to catch the Riddler. Yeah. So it it's it's very strange for him to fail so spectacularly yeah. and yet at the end feel like he's become this symbol of hope just because... Yeah he's able to help some of the people who survived. Yeah. 
at that point, the only hope I have is that I hope he gets better at what he's doing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas on the other hand, ego revolves, the entire story revolves around that central question. So it, it explores the idea, you know, like that, that comic isn't about Batman going around finding people to beat up, solving clues to catch a bad guy. It's really primarily about him in his own mind in this engaged in this psychodrama. And that's why that story works in an effective way. You know, like it, again, it, it does what it does in, in 64 pages that this movie can't do in three hours. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that you've touched on it a little bit, uh, I mean, if there isn't anything more that you want to say about the plot, I was, I was thinking we could discuss the influences actually, you know, because, Mm-hmm. This is this movie does draw from a lot of influences. Uh, I, I do, you know, as someone who's read a fair amount of Batman, I see the the fingerprints of other Batman stories in here for sure. And uh, they listed that Ego is one of them. And you know, I, I'm sure that in some part it's it's. Well, it's it's definitely part of the movie to some degree, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You you just mentioned it, but there are some other uh, bat comics that have pretty prominent influence. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just kind of curious if if there were any other ones that you noticed. Well, the obvious ones would be Batman Year One, yeah, the Long Halloween, yeah, uh, the Court of Owls, I think. Yeah, and I I think Scott Snyder overall had a lot, like, I I think, uh, what's the director's name? Reeves. I think Reeves took a lot from the Snyder stuff. uh, There's even a chance that uh, he might have been reading some of the Tom King stuff while he was making the movie, too, because I think some some of the stuff between Batman and Catwoman reminded me of Tom King stuff. Like that, even that. even just the simple, you know, ca- calling them the bat and the cat, you know, like that. Yeah. I don't know if Tom King was the first one to do that, but he's the one I associate that phrase with, you know. Yeah. 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 Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I, I imagine that DC gave him a bunch of material to look over, and it included recent stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, the funny thing is, if I had to guess, Tom King's run was cut short, possibly due to sales, if I had to guess. Yeah, maybe. Because they, like, promised him 100 issues, and he did not get to finish out his 100 issues. He came close, though. Yeah, he still got a good chunk, but it it still hurts to know that he could have had more. Yeah, I mean, just in terms of the optics of it, 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 it does look like a a bit of a smack to the face you know because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i think they ended it around like 80 issues or something but they gave him like a 12 issue miniseries or something to yeah that more or less acts as the end note to the series yeah yeah but i do think that for all the good influences that matt reeves chose to to use as uh, a reference for this movie, 
ultimately, I feel like he chose to reference a lot of bad stuff too. <laughs> a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, there's elements of Long Halloween in here. Uh, you know, because, you know, they, they even use Carmine Falcone as one of the... Mm-hmm primary antagonist in 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 it in the movie right yep um in addition to that uh they're they're built yeah the riddler uh that i mean if you're talking about jeff Loeb's overall batman work uh the riddler being the main villain definitely takes from uh his work on hush you know Mm -hmm. um there's even that one moment in one of those uh, Riddler videos where the word hush appeared on the screen. Yeah, that's that's a little nod to the fans uh-huh. of, of that comic. But yeah, even, yeah, once we get to the end and we find out that Riddler's basically basically knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne and uh, he's just toying with him the whole time. I I could definitely feel that being uh, taken from from what Jeff Loeb did on Hush. Uh, I can't really picture that being taken from anywhere else, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think one of the other main themes in the movie was the idea that there's a rot in Gotham City that just goes so deep that it just infects everything right it, yeah. it's it's something that we we see um throughout the movie cuz it's not just the people it's all the politicians it's even in the police and then at its worst it comes down to uh it, it even is revealed that Bruce Wayne's parents Thomas and Martha Wayne might be just as corrupt or as Mm-hmm. rotten as everybody else mm-hmm. in fact when bruce finds that out he finds out from uh carmine falcone that uh that thomas wayne asked him for a favor which was to assat well he asked him to go intimidate someone for him but the way that Carmine Falcone plays it or or presented it was that Thomas Wayne had asked him to assassinate this guy, uh, Edward uh, Eli Elliot Nigma, to assassinate this Elliot Nigma for. Was that uh, the dude's name, Elliot Nigma? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure his name was Elliot Nigma. It was in oh, the okay. pictures. But um, yeah, that was the name of the reporter. This reporter who found out that. Martha mm-hmm. Wayne was institutionalized in Arkham Asylum, right? Yeah. So what ends up happening is uh, Carmine Falcone, because he's buddy-buddy with uh, Thomas Wayne, ends up taking it upon himself to murder this guy. And, you know, so so Bruce Wayne has to live with the reality that his dad took part in this murder, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's something that's an idea that came from uh, Scott Snyder's Court of Owls run for sure. Like to the point where 
when this was over, there was a part of me that was wondering whether in whether the sequel of this movie is going to do some Court of Owls stuff, you know? Yeah. 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 That that whole idea of Batman's parents being part of the corruption Gotham City, it's strange to see how that has kind of taken off because not only in uh, Scott Snyder's run, but I also remember seeing some stuff in uh, that Jeff Johns Batman Earth One series. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember if if Thomas Wayne was inv- involved in some shady stuff, but I remember yeah. stuff about how uh, Martha Wayne was in that in that continuity. She was part of the Arkham family, and and she had some kind of uh, mental problems also. Yeah. It's a it's an idea that they play around with a lot. They they tease this idea that Thomas Wayne or Martha Wayne are damaged goods and it's just not how I personally view them. It's it's not a version of his parents that I want or need. Uh it really does feel like it's something that they did to create this turmoil in Bruce Wayne where he has to, you know, live with the fact that his parents dying is all a cruel joke or a lie because apparently they weren't as good as he remembered them to be, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's just not, I don't know. It's, I, I get that in early comics, all his parents were there for was just to die so that he would have a reason to become Batman. But I just don't think that that's the way to go about it. If you want to add some depth to that backstory, you know? Yeah. It It's uh just the idea of even teasing that his parents could have been corrupt. Yeah. Fundamentally bad for the character. Yeah. But that's the other thing. Like they always tease it. And in the end, they always go back to some sort of status quo where they reveal, oh, but that's not actually the way it was. So even in the movie does that. So mm-hmm. at first, when Bruce finds out that Thomas Wayne was might have ordered this hit on this reporter, it devastates him. But then he confronts Alfred and Alfred is just like, he did it because he loved you. And he never knew that Falcone was going to go and murder this guy. The dude's a gangster. Yeah. What did you think he was going to do? <laughs> you know? Just because Thomas Wayne had a medical PhD and was a doctor doesn't mean that he had street smarts. <laughs> he, he, someone sent him an email. Uh, a Nigerian prince sent him an email <laughs> to send him $1,000. And he did it. <laughs> because he's a good person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But but that was the revelation was, well, he didn't know that Carmine Falcone was going to have this guy assassinated. He he thought he was, uh, just you gonna know, intimidate him. just going to intimidate him. And so, see, turns out your dad's a good guy, you know, <laughs> and it's just it's just the type of thing where it, I, I don't feel like they needed to tease it. I don't if you want to have Batman be tormented, there's I'm sure there's other ways to do it other than revealing that 
his parents were bastards. You know? Exactly, exactly. So yeah. let, let me let me hear your breakdown of this, man, because you were the one who brought up to me earlier that the idea of Bruce's parents being corrupt is fundamentally bad for the Batman character. So can you help us understand why that is so? It's I think it's along the same lines of 80s comics that decided that they wanted to inject more drama into existing characters by having these revelations that are supposed to be earth shattering. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I I really do think it follows that same mindset, which is, well, let's take this, uh, this kernel of lore that is fundamental to a character and let's put something in there. Let's, let's find a way to, inject something into it that's that's conflicting right something Mm -hmm. dramatic something that will alter this person's life forever but when you do that you you don't really come back from that you know yeah Uh, it's it's and if you do walk it back it just makes your story look weak exactly exactly so when you tell a story where it turns out that Thomas Wayne was unfaithful to his wife and had a love child with another woman and that love child was Bane. <laughs> it's it's just one that's stupid. Two, you'll never look at Thomas Wayne the same way again, <laughs> right? How how are you supposed to believe that Batman after spending all of his life uh looking for a means to avenge his parents. How are you supposed to expect us as the reader to believe that once he finds out that his parents are, are just horrible people, how are you supposed to expect us to believe that he's not going to have this crisis of faith? Right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I'd still believe that Batman would still find a way to keep doing what he's doing, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he was just kind of, shaken to a place where he's just like i can't do this for my parents anymore you know yeah yeah and it's always just lame anytime people introduce the long lost brother or whatever you know yeah like they did it with bane back in the early 2000s and then around 10 years ago with the new 52 snyder did it with uh lincoln march or whatever his name was thomas wayne jr yeah i forget what they called him but it's such a soap opera, soap opera e, uh, story device, you know. Yeah. It's super corny. Uh, like, yeah, like I don't know how many people have long lost brothers or sisters that they didn't know about. Like, how common is that, you know? Well, at least the Riddler wasn't bat- the Batman's long lost brother. <laughs> I was kind of worried that that's what they were gonna do, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because they were implying that there was some sort of connection between the two of them going back. But it just turns out that the Riddler was a part of an orphanage that Thomas Wayne promised some money to. But when he got murdered, they lost their funding and he just ended up being a poor kid. An angry poor kid. (laughs) Yeah, it's uh, I guess as far as motivations go, it's creative yeah i mean i i still 
found it a little... Well, I guess I could understand him being mad at Thomas Wayne if he believed that Thomas Wayne had actually ordered that hit on uh on the Elliot uh, on the reporter on Elliot Nigma, but if he was just mad because this guy died and they didn't get money for their orphanage because of it, that'd be that'd be a little petty. <laughs> <laughs> You're like the guy died already. What more do you want, man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess when you put it that way, it must have been because Riddler must have been mad because he truly believed that Thomas Wayne was corrupt. Yeah, because yeah. I think a a big part of this movie is a it does revolve around uh that whole just the there's an indictment against the upper class and the elites in this movie. I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's. I, that's another thing that I, another influence that I think it drew from, oddly enough, was Twitter and how people <laughs> are, were saying, like, if Batman were real, he wouldn't spend his money on all his stuff. He would give it to charities and really make a difference in social justice work. Uh, No, I was going to say the Joker, the Joaquin Phoenix movie. Mm, okay. Because yeah. there was... A big part of Joker was the idea that the Joker was part of the downtrodden, the group of downtrodden people that finally had a chance to speak up and, like, strike back against all the well-adjusted happy people, you know? He was finally a voice for those people. And I feel like we saw a little bit of that in The Riddler because there's that one scene where Bruce Wayne is driving and he's driving past a crowd and there are That's these right. people holding these Riddler signs. And it felt like they were trying to... They were supportive of the Riddler. Yeah, exactly. It felt like they were trying to make that happen again with the Riddler instead of the Joker this time, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, I get that the Riddler was killing these government officials that ended up being proven... It was proved that they were corrupt. But it still feels weird to carry signs encouraging him to kill more people you know yeah yeah like that like that that's not how our justice system should be that's not how justice should be meted out (laughs) exactly exactly so i guess in that sense the riddler embodies that vengeance that batman used to say he was at the very beginning of the movie well they did have that moment in the back of uh, in the uh, asylum where they were talking to each other it was it was one of those me and you are both the same kind of moments, you know, that you yeah. see in movies sometimes. And I don't know. Do you, do you think this movie continued along the same trend as that Joker movie where it sort of celebrated that? Or was it kind of a rebuke to that fringe idea? I think it was a rebuke. Joker, yeah. I thought, had a pretty vile message because if you – just analyze the text as it is. I think it does celebrate, you know, taking matters into your own hands and just, it really encourages that fringe element to see other people as the problem and, you know, dehumanize anyone that doesn't unconditionally give you the support that you believe you deserve. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm going to spoil the joke that joker movie now but you know the very ending of that movie 
it just ends with this depiction of of uh, all the citizens gleefully engaging in mayhem and and stuff. So, like as the final word on on the theme of that film, it, it just feels like a celebration of it. I don't I don't uh, know if that was their intent, but that's certainly how it comes across. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now with the Batman. I think because of the ending and how it ends with Batman realizing that uh, he can be a symbol of hope because he's, you know, saving people and it's he's no he's no longer a creature that is bound by this desire for vengeance or however you want to define it. I think because the movie shows him with that new frame of mind, it it it's trying to point to us, point us to a different way. You know, it's trying to point us uh-huh, away uh-huh. from mob violence, I guess. And yeah. just this idea that it's more optimistic because it's about changing the system from within the system, as opposed to just killing everybody who's part of the system. That's a good point. Like when you see him in the daylight and helping out all those um, relief workers, out in the world it, it it pretty much embraces that idea that you know batman is not this creature of the shadows mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but the other thing i was gonna say was yeah like at the end of the movie when the riddler is in arkham asylum the revelation of his final plan is it's essentially a giant mass shooting he's arranged for Mm-hmm. This situation where all these people are going to be one in this one place, and he's gotten his fanatics, his you know his fringe followers, people that he's met online, people who, again, view themselves as the downtrodden, view themselves as people who are going to take justice into their own hands and to to be the ones to write the universe, mm-hmm. you know, like so, like certain QAnon people, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like. He he basically arranged it so that they would all show up in Riddler costumes and they were just going to turn this uh, stadium into a firing pit, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I just thought it was interesting that they... I, I did think that it was interesting that they used that as the, the final, like, plot threat, you know, that mm-hmm. Batman had to face, which it's... It's definitely more realistic than something like, uh, you know, giant balloons filled with Joker gas or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. So. I I did feel like there was some uh, Joker influence in the movie. Uh, hey, there there was the end of the movie. Yeah. The the little. Easter egg. I guess it's Easter egg. You know right? what I uh, just found out looking at the Wikipedia page What'd for the find? film? The the guy who made that appearance as the Joker at Arkham Asylum at the end. You know who uh-huh. that was? Who? Barry Keoghan. I, f- I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but the guy who played oh. Druid Druig in nice. Eternals. Yeah, that was him. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay, okay. I mean... Uh, I hope he he's be, good. He could be Druig and Joker. Yeah. I, 
I liked him in uh, in Eternals. I liked him in uh, a bunch of other stuff I've seen. So here's hoping, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I if they make another one, I I hope it's better than this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, now see. that we've talked so much about the movie, it, it feels like it had more depth than I originally gave it credit for. It does. It feels like we're exploring quite a bit of it. I don't know if I like it more. Actually, I I, I probably don't. But <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's giving me something to think about. So there's that at least. Yeah. 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 I mean, I still wouldn't say I'm a fan of it, but it's probably not the worst. DC movie I've seen. <laughs> you heard it here, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a blurb for the back of the Blu-ray disc cover. You know, like yeah, not the worst DC movie I've ever seen. <laughs> were there any other influences that you could think of, or influences that were worth mentioning? Uh, not really. I think we talked about the main ones and you know a lot of the stuff was just kind of superficial like the year one influence that that's really just because of the of carmine falcone being in there and yeah. the idea of a a more inexperienced kind of batman being part of the story even yeah. him working with jim gordon but i do think the catwoman look was kind of a year one catwoman with yeah the hair. yeah that's true that's yeah. true that's a good point too yeah, there was a point in the movie where Batman was really messed up, and he injects himself with some stuff to like you know Stimulant. get super hyped yeah. to save uh, Selena. And the first thought that came to my mind was, "Oh man, they're gonna do Venom at some point." <laughs> <laughs> he injected himself with Venom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, Venom was a. a it, it was a story by Denny O'Neill, and I forget who the artist was, but it was about Batman becoming hooked on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> Venom was the drug that made Bane strong enough to break Batman's back. Yeah. Yeah. The other funny thing about the movie I enjoyed was uh, the fact that Batman said, what have you done? In increasingly <laughs> dramatic form when he was yelling at the Riddler. That was what have amazing. you done? <laughs> Multiple times, man. Yeah, we got like four in yeah. a row. Not bad, not bad. All right, Drew. Well, do you have any final thoughts about the movie? Yeah, I think after our long discussion, I feel like I've crystallized my final thoughts on this. My biggest problem with the Batman is that it portrays a Batman acts tough and postures like a real superhero but is actually impotent when it comes to affecting the plot he just constantly takes a beating and brawls with almost no regard for strategy or finesse instead he just relies on his seemingly indestructible body armor and sheer dumb luck to survive falls and explosions that would and probably should kill someone in addition he fails to solve the the riddler's plot in time to prevent Gotham from being flooded. I guess I could blame that on a lack of cleverness or competence in his detective abilities, but it also seems like for the sake of the plot, the police weren't very good at their jobs either. Like there was that scene in the 
near the early portion of the movie where they glaringly neglected to perform even a cursory inspection of the mayor's garage and his cars after his murder. So they didn't even see like this big old uh, blade sticking out of one of the cars. That That's just one of those things that happens for the sake of convenience. And I feel like in a Batman story that's centered around sleuthing and detective work, that's a bit too much to overlook. In yeah, some ways, yeah. it felt like Batman's role had very little impact beyond serving as the focal point of the thriller plot so that we could experience the excitement of the chase. He was constantly one step behind the Riddler and didn't even manage to stop him in the end. The only reason they caught the Riddler was because he gave himself up. One of the biggest fundamental flaws with the plot was that Batman continued to play the Riddler's game until the end, and he lost. Traditionally, decent Riddler stories involve Batman at least beating the Riddler at his own game. However, the great Riddler stories involve Batman beating the Riddler by breaking the rules of his game. Mm -hmm. And this movie just didn't do that, man. So I can't even say it was a decent Riddler story. Yeah, yeah. The emotional ideas that the film tries to explore, specifically Batman's existential crisis his search for purpose, and whether what he does has any meaning beyond vengeance. Those ideas have all been explored in greater and more satisfying depth in other comic books, and this movie doesn't really offer any new perspectives. Ultimately, Batman is a character I have way too much affection for in order to tolerate subpar stories, and I consider this a subpar story. The fact that this interpretation of the character leaves me cold is enough to turn me against it. And the fact that the masses seem to love it, that merely turns my dissatisfaction with the movie into hateful disdain. So I'm completely against the Batman. <laughs> That's uh, true True to your brand, Drew. True to Thank your you, brand man. to a T. <laughs> I got to be consistent to my own character. Yeah, for reals. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I thought the, the, the cops in Gotham, like, you might make the argument that this is a Gotham City where the cops are extra corrupt or extra incompetent, but even the cops that were trying to do their job, like, because the scene at the end where they're like, not all the cops are bad, there are a bunch of good cops too, right? So clearly there were cops that were trying to do their job in Gotham. And yeah, and a bunch of were, them did come out at that scene too. Yeah, but if there are cops that are you know, supposedly good cops that are trying to do their job. Like, apparently they were bad at it too, because <laughs> right, they didn't even check the garage. Batman had to go to the garage after the fact, and it, it wouldn't even have taken much of a check because they could have gone to the garage and they would have seen the knife sticking out of the tire right then and there. That's mm -hmm. kind of basic, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, in addition to that, there was the whole thing where Batman shows up and he's looking at this carpenter's tool, this uh, carpet uh, removal removal chisel type of tool, and it isn't until the other cop is like, "Oh yeah, that's that's a carpenter's chisel, and we use that to remove rugs." That's when Batman gets, you know, the light bulb goes off and Batman decides yeah. to peel up the rug, and there we go. That's the final clue. And it's like you're telling me that the cops were all in there, they took the place apart, and none of them thought to look under the rug, like. <laughs> Maybe this is something that I've developed over months and months, maybe even years at this point, of watching a lot of true detective 
uh, true crime shows, but mm-hmm. that just seems kind of basic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because in in a lot of those investigations, you got to turn the place inside out. Yeah, yeah, and back to the idea that like Batman was really dumb. Like one one other plot point that bugged me was when they were chasing the Riddler. One of the one of the clues was this Spanish uh, phrase that was used right. where they were confusing L and La. So first of all, even the Penguin was kind of insulting them because he was like, "You guys don't know basic Spanish." Like <laughs> I don't know basic Spanish, but I assume that Batman's smarter than that, right? Yeah, he's smarter than us, or at least he's yeah, supposed to be. Exactly. And then on top of that, for for him to go in in the moment where he decodes the clue and he goes, "The flying rat." And then for him to go down this rabbit hole where his theory is, well, in Spanish, a flying rat is the word that they use for a pigeon. And what is a pigeon? A stool pigeon. And a stool pigeon is the penguin. Let's go get this guy. You know? It's, <laughs> it's, it, if he's not Ladies stupid, and gentlemen, the world's greatest detective. If he's not stupid, then he's too smart for his own good, which yeah. is almost worse. <laughs> yeah. right? He's outsmarting like, himself. Yeah, because even when th- that phrase came up in the movie, like the first thought I had when I heard a flying rat was a bat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It should have been kind of a duh duh moment. The Riddler is talking about you, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, man. And in terms of other final notes, I, I did want to talk about like a couple of other influences uh, that were uh, that I I felt might have been a strong. Uh, that that had a strong influence on the movie, but so uh, I think although there are a lot of influences that uh, what's the name of the director? Uh, Matt Reeves. That Matt Reeves cite, even though Matt Reeves cite, he puts out a list of all the books, the various books that he uh, uses as a resource. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Scott Snyder's Batman run overwhelmingly has the brunt of the influence on this movie. Um, I mean, there are certain elements that you can look at and you can be like, oh yeah, he took this from Batman Year One or he took this from uh, Batman The Long Halloween. But I think at the core, at the soul, at the essence of this movie, what it is, is it's it's the closest thing to a Scott Snyder Batman movie that we're going to see, you know? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. one... One, like you said, this version of Batman is just really dumb. He's constantly playing catch up with the Riddler. He's not a guy that's smart enough to like. It, yeah, when you really think about it, by the by the time you get to the end of the movie, you have to ask yourself, like, what did he actually accomplish? All the people that the Riddler sought to kill ended up dying. All the all the uh, well, not all, but most, right? And then and he ended up flooding the city just like he wanted to. Yeah, he wanted to flood the city and he wanted to cause a mass shooting event and he achieved that goal. Maybe yeah. he didn't kill as many people as he wanted, but he killed a lot of I'm pretty sure a lot of people died. And then yeah. what the only he, thing is that Batman managed to save some people during the flood. Yeah. And then what else happened? Uh when the cops caught him, they cu- they they captured the Riddler on the Riddler's terms, you know? It wasn't because yep. Batman outsmarted him. He wanted to be captured at that point. So mm-hmm. how how good was Batman really? And then back to the other point, the the one person that was a decent human being that Batman wanted to save, and we mentioned this earlier, but 
it was the mayor. And the only reason that the mayor was survived was that the assassins that were going to kill her were just crap shots. Like, come on, Batman doesn't look good at all. Yeah, yeah, the mayor elect at the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it was strange because when she got shot, I thought for sure, like, number one. That's it. Would, Game over. Yeah, yeah. But then it looked like the medic patched her up. And then during the flood, she was, you know, hanging tough with everybody else. She wasn't struggling to, to move around or anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Must have been a pretty superficial wound. Yeah. And I'm going to chase that thought down another rabbit hole. But, and this is also loosely tied to Scott Snyder because it's a Scott Snyder kind of writing convention where people just happen to survive by sheer dumb luck. Mm -hmm. So another uh, example of this is at one point, the Riddler decides to go after Bruce Wayne and... Maybe he knows Bruce Wayne is Batman. Maybe he doesn't. Uh, I mean, in my personal opinion, I, I, I think it was clearly indicated that the Riddler does know who Bruce Wayne is, um, who Batman is. But at one point, he sends a bomb to Bruce Wayne's house, and the bomb goes off in uh, as Alfred's looking at it. He's, he's going through the mail. He sees this package, unwraps it, and it turns out it's a bomb. It goes off, and we see the aftermath, and it's, it's a bomb that's clearly powerful enough to tear a hole in the building. So in the scene prior to the bomb going off, we see Alfred looking at this package and he realizes it's a bomb and he throws it. And from the way that they shoot it, he's only able to throw it a couple of feet before the bomb goes off. So you would think that he'd be dead. But what happens? He's just really injured and still alive. <laughs> well, you know what the Adam West Batman once said? What Sometimes you just can't get rid of a bomb. Yep. Yep. See, it's just stuff like that where maybe that's a Matt Reeves thing, but it's definitely a Scott Snyder thing. And for like, so if they're just <laughs> like, like the explosion if, that uh, Batman took when the DA's collar bomb yeah. blew up, Batman was just a couple feet away and he survived. He yeah, was totally it should have obliterated him. Yeah. That's right? something that happens in Scott Snyder's comics all the time, except in those yeah. comics, sometimes Batman is lucky enough to jump into a suit of medieval armor to protect himself from the blast. Exactly. And heck, we mentioned it earlier, but Batman gets knocked out. The cops take him and, you know, they, they take him away. And there's a good solid amount of time where they're holding on to him. And none of them thought to take off his mask. It's just over and over again, stuff like that, where it's just like, are these and even when he escapes, the, when he escapes the cops and he jumps off the building, even though he's got that gliding thing, yeah. just the way that he hits everything on his way down. He should have been dead. Street pizza. Yeah. 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 But it just makes me think, if, if Matt Reeves was influenced by Scott Snyder's Batman comics, then he took all of the worst parts of Scott Snyder's comics. But mm -hmm. if those were his choices, then he's not just influenced by Scott Snyder. He might be like Scott Snyder's soulmate if those were things that he thought was were okay to uh, as explanations for how to get out of a tight bind, you know? They they just maybe maybe this is the stealth version of the Snyder verse coming into play. The other Snyder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. This is probably the closest thing to a Scott Snyder uh, uh, a Batman movie. 
we definitely see a lot of the influences. There's there's ideas that Matt Reeves plays with with that we mentioned a little bit earlier. Ideas such as um, the the fact that there are these ruling families in Gotham City that are the elite, but they're also the foundation of 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 the city itself, right? And that the mm-hmm. Waynes are part of this cabal, this elitist family cabal that runs the city and that has deep roots in the city, but also are part of the the same rot that's corrupting the city from the ground up, you know? So yeah. the idea that Thomas Wayne is actually just an evil founding father of the city along with the other five families, stuff like that, right? Like That's we not seen, something I really care for. It It's not. Like, if you... The Court of Owls is something that's trending on Twitter right now. It's really big. And honestly, in terms of a Batman story, the only thing I liked about the Court of Owls was the name. That was the best part of it. The title of the story? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds foreboding. Yeah. But when you read it, it's pretty stupid. It's a stupid story. <laughs> and another influence that we saw from Scott Snyder towards the end was you see Batman in the aftermath of the explosions and the flooding uh and the destruction of the city and you see him giving this monologue and he talks about how the city's destroyed and it'll take years for the for gotham to recover and we don't know what it's going to look like over the course of that recovery uh there are going to be like criminals that are going to be predatory that are going to seize this opportunity to like basically rule uh different aspects or sectors of the city you know that was mm-hmm. at least the implication that I was getting from uh, his monologue, and that's right. that's an idea that he that's lifted right out of Zero Year or maybe even No Man's Land, but it's definitely a Zero Year idea. Like I I think it's mm-hmm. fair to say Zero Year because this was zero a Riddler year. movie, yeah. and this Zero Year was a Riddler story. Exactly, you know? exactly. Um, yeah, and just one final influence that I I thought was worth mentioning was. Uh, you know, just from a uh, uh, an outside non-comics influence, it, I, I feel like Matt Reeves was influenced by the movie Saw, in that uh, those Saw movies were about this insane mastermind who was embittered against humanity, and he would come up with these elaborate death traps uh, that would trap these people, and then he would use these death traps to force these people to either choose between telling the truth or being horribly murdered, you know? And the traps were, like, super elaborate. They were, like, uh, you know, buzzsaw headpieces <laughs> or uh, a, a pit full of syringes, uh, things like that. Or, oh, there's a there's a bear trap stuck to your head, and the only way to get to the key is by digging through this guy's stomach. You have to kill this guy and pull it out of his stomach. That's the only way that you can unlock this mask. And this version stuff like that, you know, uh, where I'm pretty sure he took those ideas. And it almost feels like Matt Reeves was like, wouldn't it be cool if the Riddler was that kind of a serial killer that uses death trap puzzles like the Jigsaw Murderer in Saw? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Would it be cool? No. Uh... I'm pretty sure there are certain minty fresh friends of ours that thought it would be cool. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Yeah. Those were, yeah. And those are pretty much my, the final bits and pieces that I wanted to draw attention to. Cause I felt like 
I might have missed those in in the in the bulk of the podcast, but I still felt like I needed to mention them. So overall, though, would you say that you dislike this movie, or is that an understatement? I was I was numb to this movie, uh, and if it was any other movie, if it wasn't Batman. If they had decided to do a Ninjak movie like this, I would have been like, eh, fine, whatever, right? Yeah. But because it's Batman and because, you know, people I detest love it, I I hate it all the more. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I wish to deny them joy. <laughs> yeah. Like, in all seriousness, though, it is a pretty middle-of-the-road movie, which is pretty whatever, but... The fact that it's drawn so much influences from such bad comics, comics that I I don't really recommend, comics that I've never really found too appealing, it just makes me think that it was a task that was doomed from the start. There was really no saving this, you mm-hmm. know? I mean, mm-hmm. perhaps you could have said that there was... Um, they could have taken ideas from those movies and... There could have been a chance that they could have made a better movie out of it, but you know they they were starting a negative at that point, you know. And the final product of the movie is pretty clear that they weren't capable of making a better movie from the materials that they had at their for their use, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess if that's it, then I'll uh, I'll. If you guys have any questions or if you want to talk with us about the movie, feel free to email us at betweenthegutterspodcast at gmail.com or DM us on our Instagram. Please follow us, uh, you know, at Between the Gutters. If you're listening to us on Spotify or on Google Podcasts or on uh, Apple uh, Apple Podcasts, please rate us. We like the five star star ratings helps us and it boosts our playtime on the algorithm. So we would really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace out. Ta-ta. (laughs) Ta-ta. I just wanted to do that. Death, pain, kill, hate, death, pain, kill, kill, hate, death, pain, 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 kill, Albert? Yeah, yeah. I was just taking it all in. I was I was going to a place. Okay, okay. I think my vocal cords are warmed up.